Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Reveille, reveille, donks. Look at us now, tip to tip. This is our life. This is our passion. That's the spirit we bring to this show. I'm Luke Thomas. I'm Brian Campbell. This is Morning Combat. Oh, yeah. You hear that sound. And you know that Fridays are for the arts. This year is Morning Combat. Hold on one second. Uh, shit's good. Uh, Friday, June tenth, two thousand and twenty-two. The best damn combat sports show. Period. My name is your co-host Brian Campbell. That BBC with that B D E. You know the man next to me. He's the finest fight analyst in the game who never had the balls to take on one professional or amateur fight. His name is Luke Thomas. I wouldn't know if I classify it quite that way, but. Thank you. Just the same, BC. Glad we're starting out our introductions in an insulting and well, no, totally, I, know. I, uh, I actually commended you as the best analyst in the game today. Yeah. Luke. Okay. For thank being you. yes, among cowards, you're the best. <laughs> yeah, thank, thank, thank you, BC. Uh, this year is the award-winning morning combat. You may be wondering where I am right now, but I am in a fine uh, establishment called the Turning Stone Resort and Casino in Verona, New York. Because tonight, 9 p.m. Eastern, only on Showtime, Showbox. The new generation of which BC, one of your analysts, will be providing a triple header. And also, how about some luminaries in attendance? It's not just bo- International Boxing Hall of Fame weekend. Check the merch right here in the next town over of Canastota. But Luke, they're going with three classes at once this year. The trilogy because of COVID. So we'll get into it a bit later, but you want to talk about... Uh, boxing royalty walking around the grounds of this casino. What a what a time to be alive, Luke. So I'm happy to be here. You know what I'm saying? Yes. I'm, and uh, the shirt, I got to say, I told him before the show, I think the shirt is cool, super cool. And uh, that chair looks like, like you look like you're in a Howard Johnson where people are illegally doing dentistry. <laughs> it kind of looks like a chair like the bad guy and Inspector Gadget would sit in, you know what I mean, with the cat. Oh, you know, a little kinda, bit. Yeah, a little yeah, bit. Yeah, like that's that. right. I kind of like that. Um, if you're wondering if y'all got that McDonald's Wi-Fi, we do. So hopefully we'll make it through this show. But uh, shout out to uh, Corey Manich and Long Island Luke on the ones and twos. How wild is it, Luke Thomas, that we have a producer named Long Island Luke whose dad is from Australia, but Mocha also has a pro- producer named Luke who is from Australia who works on Morning Combat. Is his dad from Long Island? 
I hope. Uh, you know, I think I think his secretary's name was Lincoln, Luke, and uh, <laughs> and the other ones was Kennedy. I think that's the deal. Okay. All right. All right. Uh, Luke, can you take the screen? They've got to adjust some technical things with me. Can you yes, take yes, over yes. For a I will. T- I'll, I'll do the uh, the standard intros. So as you as BC mentioned, he is going to be on national television tonight, 9 p.m. in the East for Showtime. If you don't have Showtime, I've got great news for you. You can get it for free right now. Go to Showtime.com. Get a 30-day free trial if you like it. If you like BC's commentary. And as much as a loathsome piece of shit as he is, he's actually quite good at being a commentator, so I highly recommend watching him. Uh, you can get it. Showtime.com, 30-day free trial. If you like it, keep it. If not, you can bounce. And as you can see, I've got my special BC Factory Town MMA shirt. You want one just like this, you can get it. Morningcombat.store. Morningcombat.store. And I know some folks, we saw they had a, there was a leaked photograph. Uh, not quite leaked. It was more just published. But... Uh, it was for the bomber jackets that we had on. We did do a little bit of a video shoot with Chuck Mendenhall, and you saw that BC and I had bomber jackets. They're not in the store yet. I can hear BC there. They're not in the store yet, but they're going to be there pretty soon. So morningcombat.store is going to be the place to be. Of course, we're going to do Dead Wrong today. If you want to reach the show for any reason, but for Wednesday's fan subs, Friday's Dead Wrong, morningcombat at gmail.com is going to be the place to be for that. So shoot us some stuff over there. All right, is BC ready to go? Yes, no? Yeah, I'm back. I'm back on it, Luke. Thank Sorry. you to, to Corey Manich for adjusting my, my levels here, Luke. Okay, there's levels to this game. Thank you very much. Luke, you sold all of our shit, right? We're ready to go? Is yeah, I think we're good to go. Mm-hmm. All right, uh, let's do it. Be- but before we get to the five topics, Luke, we have this rundown set in stone. But talk about a curveball in the sport of combat sports. So here's a little bonus lead headline. The news came across yesterday afternoon. BKFC, your bare-knuckle home, August 20th in the UK. How about this for a pay-per-view main event? Mike Perry versus MVP Michael Venom Page of Bellator fame? Luke Thomas, it turns out that Perry, that a MVP, like in the past when he took a pro boxing fight, was allowed by Scott Coker and company sort of this one-off. This one-off will be a bare-knuckle matchup between two welterweight MMA stars of, of some lore for sure. Uh, I gotta say, I'm pretty fired up. I mean, it's 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 a classy hot dog at the gas station for sure. But this is pretty damn interesting, and I think it's gonna air on on fight. So if you pay that $4.99 monthly subscription, you're gonna get this card. This may be uh, appointment viewing in the world of combat sports. August twentieth. I gotta tell you, I like this curveball. I like. Someone asked me about this on my live chat yesterday, and I thought it was just like a random suggestion. Like, what about MVP versus? Mike Perry and BKFC, I was like, yeah, I mean, I don't know how that would go. That's exactly right. I don't know how that would go. Obviously, MVP is probably a much, well, he definitely is a much better striker than Mike Perry. But, dude, bare knuckle, that little ring, the rounds are two minutes long. They start in the center. Like, who the hell who the hell knows what's going to happen? Yeah. I got to say, I'll commend Scott Coker. I, w- I really will for reaching across the aisle and trying to co-promote. We know he did it back in the day with Strike Force. We know he's been doing it with Bellator. He's obviously had a long relationship with a lot of the Japanese promoters. Here he is. Uh, he tried to make a deal with Eagle FC for the JDS thing, which we went into. But here is a great one where you've got Platinum, who I don't think is washed. My uh, MVP, definitely not washed. It's a crazy kind of fight, but I love talent sharing. I love curveballs. I love something different. It's a little unusual, but unusual BC like you in a good way. Oh, wow. Thank you very much. Not bad for, for brain damage. Uh, I will say this, Luke. It's like when you see like some of the knee-jerk reactions to this fight, it's been... 
cur- you know, a cu- positive and sort of a curiosity way, but a lot of people going, oh man, dude, MVP's going to piece this guy up. What a lopsided matchup. There's nothing lopsided about matchups in BKFC because it's just a different striking game. Yes, some people make the transition fairly easily, but there's a major adjustment in terms of not being able to load up on most of your shots. You have to be strategic. You have to protect your knuckles. There's certainly some uh, clinch fighting allowed that's similar to MMA. So this is going to be pretty interesting. But I did want to ask you deeper about sort of the one-off part of it. If you're Scott Coker and company, is this more of let's just keep a star happy in MVP or do you think there's anything deeper there in terms of strategic leveraging or even the idea of just good PR that we're open to, you know, that you come our way and we'll let you do some of this side stuff? I think it's I think it's a little bit of all of the above. You know, there's been people may not remember this, but there have been times where Bellator fighters were waiting around looking for fights and they couldn't get them, which is common across a lot of you know major promotions for a lot of different reasons. But, you know, Koreshkov had complained at times. Shlomenko had complained at times. Um, you know, here's a chance for if a guy wants to stay busy, he can. It's going to be in the UK. And we don't, uh, to my knowledge, BC, perhaps I missed this part of the story, but to my knowledge, we don't really know which way BKFC is going to send someone over to Bellator, how this talent sharing thing might work. Obviously, I don't think Bellator is just giving MVP this fight to BKFC without asking for something in return. So I'll be curious to see something in return there. But yeah, I think it's a lot about, if, if you know, Coker being serious about talent sharing. That's great. It is about keeping MVP happy. That's great. You know, by the way, if you're Scott Coker, this is a pretty smart bet. I mean, yes, MVP is going to be locked in a very, very small circular ring and can't use his knees, can't use any of his kicks. Punches are going to be, you know, in in short range at all times. So it, it's a little bit different than what you might imagine. But still, you'd probably favor MVP to win. I, I certainly would. So it's smart in that sense. There's just a lot of ways where, again, like for some of these sub UFC promotions, they have some real talent. But it's kind of just splintered across one FC or one championship across Bellator. BKFC has taken some interesting names with them, not a whole bunch, but some that matter. Mike Perry, Chad Mendez being a couple of them. You can name some more. I like this. I like the sharing. I like what it represents. I like what it offers the athletes. I like what it offers the fans. I I, I don't really see the downside, especially MVP just lost that fight. They're not going to do a rematch with Logan Storley. That's not really on the table. So why not give the fans something kind of exciting in this way? Yeah, it works for me. Yeah, it kind of took that 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 contentious decision uh, for MVP because if he's if he's the interim champion, you probably don't think this is going to happen. It wouldn't seem worth it. But if it if there's a long term trade or talent swap involved, it's interesting. I mean, uh, could that mean PVZ? I mean, I know Paige Van Zandt is now doing AEW wrestling and says she was born for that. Could she take an MMA fight with Beltran? I don't know. Maybe they want you know maybe they want Britain Beltran, Luke. Okay, why wouldn't they? Uh, does she do MMA? No, she did pro boxing, and and okay. I'm just you know just kind of cracking cracking jokes with you. But maybe Rachel Ostovich comes over to Bellator. Who knows, Luke? We'll see yeah, what happens. Dude, but- like I said, there's a lot of different ways this could go, and it's not just what what can Bellator and BKFC do. It's like, dude, if all the promotions start doing a little bit more to talent share, there's all kinds of doors that they can open together that I really think would be rather big. So I'm yes. all in favor of it. Two thumbs up from this guy. All right. All right. There you go. Uh, you're not here, though, to hear us, uh, you know, try to debate the future of Bellator matchmaking. You could probably go to Big John hold and uh, the other guy on, for that one. But, hold, on, hold, on, um, you, hold on, hold on. Before you change, I <laughs> see what you're doing there. Before you change, prediction for that fight. And you can change it when we get closer, but okay. gut, what does your gut tell you right now? 
I think this is a sport that produces upsets because it's it, it's something that MMA or boxers that make that transition think they know what it's going to be like, and then it's just different. It's kind of like, you know, let's play basketball, but let's play it on a 15-foot rim. Uh, it's a little bit different. Um, I think Mike Perry can win this. Call me crazy, Luke. I think he can get inside and get gnarly and use his forearms and shoulders and head and cut you know, you get a lot of cuts with, with, with clean punches in this game. So obviously MVP is this master at controlling distance and leaping in and landing these shots. Will that one punch landing have the same impact in a bare knuckle situation? We'll have to, we'll have to find out, Luke. BC, speaking of 15 foot rims, did you see in game two, game three? Or I think it was game, what was it? Game three, maybe. Right yes. before the start, the Warriors were complaining uh, at uh, in, the, in the, was it the, uh, the TD Garden? They, yes. were they were complaining that the rim looked a little high. And so sure enough, they measured it. Whoever was setting the rims for the Celtics set the Warriors' rim two inches higher. So they actually had to be, lower the rim. That's got to be the ghost of Red Auerbach or, 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 you know, the leprechaun, right? You know, you know what I mean? Just, just uh, yeah, there you go. Okay, thank you. Luke, people are here not for any of this absolute bullshit. They're here. To find out who they should bet on and pick and look out for for Saturday's UFC 275 pay-per-view card. The promotions. First visit to Singapore in a pay-per-view fashion. Fifth overall. And Luke Thomas, we have three must-see fights atop this card. Uh, it gets a little barren from there, and we've unfortunately just lost another fight off this card. We'll get to in a minute. But in terms of getting fired up for these three fights, I kind of liked when watching the UFC uh, countdown series Something I hadn't thought about. I wanted to pitch it to you first, Luke. The six big names that are headlining this card, none of them born in the U.S., all of them from various nations. That does sort of show the uh, evolution and outreach of this sport. Or maybe I sound like a UFC uh, PR slip right now. No, no. I remember, I remember quite well in the late 2000s, early 2010s, there was still, and then this has been true for some time, and it will tr still be true for some time, but there's just a lot of heavy American, and particularly heavy American wrestling influence in the sport, which has been a good thing, but it was a little bit uh, one note. It was just so much of it. And now you're seeing not just different styles, but different countries with well-rounded skill sets to the point now where they can be championship-level fighters in a very global sense. It's only good for MMA that it expands. Like when, when Brandon Moreno won in Mexico, like we're richer for having a country to the south of us here that can produce elite-level talent in the way that they have. And you can go on to Kazakhstan and Kyrgyzstan and Brazil and wherever else. The more that these countries can produce world-class talent, the more we all benefit as fans. And this card is, I think, a testament to some of that development. All right, let's stop. Let's start with the top of the marquee, and that, of course, is Glover Teixeira, the 42-year-old wonder, closing in, by the way, on age 43. First title defense of the 205 crown that he seized by submission against Jan Blahovich, and he welcomes in 2-0 in the UFC, riding a 10-fight knockout streak, riding a win streak that I think is upwards of 16. It is Yuri Prohatska. Luke, uh, we set the stage nicely, if you ask me, two days ago on the storylines leading into this but in terms of this actual fight, minus 200 Prohatska, according to Caesars, is your current betting favorite, plus mm. 160 the champion, Teixeira. We, we, we know coming into here that if, if things go the way they intend for either fighter, I mean, this is a, this is a little bit of a toss-up fight at this point. I mean, you, you certainly favor Prohatska for obvious reasons, youth, danger, all of that. But I'm looking forward for a very interesting fight come Saturday night. What are you looking for in round one? I like to get ahead of it and see what your eyes are seeing or, or thinking or looking for 
that that may help you figure out which direction this fight is going. So I think this really all just comes down to Glover Teixeira getting takedowns and making use of them. Either he will do that or he won't, which is not to say that he could not win on the feet. For example, I do think that Glover has a good jab. You go back to, I believe it was round one, maybe it was round two. I have to go back and look, but there was a left hook that he landed in the Blahovich fight that rocked him or wobbled him a little bit. And he had to kind of catch himself as a consequence. It's not like he can't strike. He can, but it's hard to see how... Even though, and the stats speak to this, Richard Mann over at Fight Metric, I tweeted his article yesterday about this. Even though Dick you look Mann. at the number, yeah, yeah. Well, Dick I mean, he Mann. just does, huh? If he if just, he goes by that nickname, his his name would be Dick Man. I love this guy, Luke. Okay, all right, you're five years old, but the point I'm trying to make is, if you look at the strikes absorbed per minute by Prohachka, it's six point eight. I mean, folks, I can't tell you that is that's like double the rate of a ranked fighter. That is extremely, extremely high. He gets hit a lot, but but the fact that he gets hit a lot and there's like a lot of open exchanges, in the end, we both kind of know that actually tends to favor him, at least right now, because he's still durable, he's still young, he's extremely athletic, he just kind of can withstand it. Now he can make that style work for him. I think over time that will cost him. But for right now, it hurts him somewhat, makes him a little bit vulnerable. But I think on, on it's a net win for him to have a more open style. You go back to the Blahovich fight, dude. Uh, Glover was looking for a takedown inside the first minute. Inside the first minute, I think he knows he has got to get the takedown. Now we've only seen a couple of attempts on takedowns for uh, excuse me for Prohachka in his two UFC fights, and he stuffed one of them, and he didn't stuff the other one. There was a fight in uh, excuse me in um, in uh, Japan where he was taken down for a long period of time. He still won that contest. So to me, this really comes down to Glover Teixeira realizing he's got to you know, punch his way inside, but he's got to get a takedown, and he's got to make full use of it. He's got to get real ground and pound. He's got to hurt that guy there. He's got to drain that guy there. So if he gets takedowns and the guy gets back up, or he gets takedowns and it's a full guard situation, and maybe he kind of really controls Glover, that's not enough. This fight hinges on the takedown and what he can meaningfully make of it in the end. And the question mark, of course, is to what extent can Prohachka defend or nullify that? Absolutely. And it's rare when you're like, okay, it's up to the 42-year-old guy to try to gas out, you know, and, and wear down and weaken uh, the younger guy. But that's really what this is, you know. And in a street fight between an old guy and a young guy, normally it's the old guy trying to sit on top of him and just hold him down and use his weight. Uh, there's going to be uh, a want and a need for Glover to do that to try to lessen the danger when they are stood back up. And obviously Glover's submission threat is strong. And Luke, I want to ask you sort of about how you've read Glover's emotions throughout the build to this. We had him on Room Service Diaries, a fantastic chat. I'm going to throw to that in a second. But you heard him talk about Prohatska on our couch. You've seen him on you know, UFC Countdown, UFC Embedded, all of the, the media stops this week. I look at it as... Absolutely, he understands and respects the threat of Yari Prohatska's uh, striking. And of course he should, or, or he wouldn't be here if he didn't. Uh, but Luke, I also see supreme confidence that when he looks at the pluses and minuses of his opponent, he truly believes he's going to be able to exploit the latter. And, you know, like we talked about on Wednesday, maybe kind of do a repeat of what he did to Jan Blahovich. Obviously, different fighter, different levels of danger, different a lot. But do you see that same level of supreme confidence that I don't think he's overlooking Yuri, but I really believe Glover thinks he's going to come in there and kind of make short work of him. He, well, it's not impossible, right? I mean, this fight is kind of weird because you've got an old guy who's, I think, defensively somewhat vulnerable. I don't think Glover has a bad shin, but it's just... 
how many big strikes can he take from Prohachka? Probably not many. I don't know many guys that could. I mean, that remember that elbow he finished Reyes off with? I mean, he absolutely Ooh. destroyed him with that. So Glover takes one of those. It's a wrap. Um, on the other hand, Glover does have the capacity to slow the fight down, to find measures of control. We've seen it time and time again. Anthony Smith, the last one, he does it over and over again. This fight could go a lot of different ways, and not every fight will tell you a lot about someone's upside, or in this case, in the case of Glover Teixeira, what they have left. We kind of know what Glover's upside is. We have a pretty pretty clear sense of it, but Prohachka, there's just this unknownness. So, dude, to me, it could go the full five rounds. I think that's unlikely, but it probably could. But this one could end in short order either way pretty quickly. Yeah. Like, there's a lot. I mean, when he, when Blahovich rolled over, dude, that choke was sunk instantaneously it was it was over as soon as it started on the ground so it's just a question of what does Glover really have left can he execute a game plan that he speaks to his strengths and again I'm going to point this out the fact that he went for a takedown in the first minute it wasn't he he wasn't getting lit up against Blahovich in that first minute there was a couple other times later in the fight where he got touched up but not in that first minute tells you he knows that this is his best method to victory he knows you know for example in the Tiago Santos fight dude Tiago Santos was laying some hands on him until he went for the takedown or, you know, control the fight in that kind of a way. I, I think he just knows that's the order of, of of business here. He has to find a way to jab inside and get the guy to react. But, dude, Prohachka is a wild card, man. I could totally see a scenario where he backs him up against the fence, le level changes to get the takedown, and then just eats a giant fucking knee on the way in, and that, that just closes the show. It's This, it's this is a weird one, but a great one. I know. Instead of trying to say, you know, could we see Glover versus Blahovich uh, all over again in terms of how it plays out? It, you know, it, it could go on the way of Glover versus Thiago Santos as well, which is, you know, Yeri landing something monster early where you think Glover's going to get stopped and and he stays the course. He bites down and eventually gets the fight to the ground and does his thing. I mean, that 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 could be something he's got to realize uh, is possible given the danger. So let's go to Glover right now. We had him on the couch, episode one of our revamped Room Service Diaries 2.0. And of course we said, you know, what do you expect from from, from Prohatska? How, how are you mentally preparing to face somebody this dangerous? Let's go to the videotape. Assess him from your standpoint. What do you, what do you believe is the major challenge for you? Is there, you know, is there, is there his style to see the movement? Can we work a lot in my eyes? I have a good people work with that. You can see in my last few fights uh, the way uh, I'm rolling with the punches better, you know, and not getting hit clear like uh, like before. Before just walk straight and keep going, but now moving and moving a little more, work in my eyes and work the timing for him. This is the the main thing. But uh, I look the fight a little bit. I look his fight and I see, like I say, I see the openings that he, he does. When he strike, he leave the opening for some positions. And, um, you know, this the main thing that I think uh, the most difficult thing to deal with is probably like the style. But uh, when you come, when you're patient, man, you see everything. <laughs> that's, the, that's the cool about uh, martial arts is how to adapt it to the style, you know. Oh, I know what he's thinking, Luke. No, nothing a double leg couldn't figure out in terms of, uh, you know, dealing with the danger of what Prohatska's striking brings to the table. Um, but you you get what I'm, my earlier point, man. He is so damn 
you know, tough guy next door, confident. And, it, and, and you know, when you really do the math and look at this fight, I think he potentially has reasons to be. And, you know, one thing he did say there, Luke, I wanted to get your take is, you know, he was coming in in a straight line. I mean, that that was going to be a problem when you're facing a guy like Rumble Johnson and he got sent deep down in the first round. But part of that educated evolution in his senior years for for uh Teixeira has not just been the focus on the on the fundamental basics on the ground and, and hammering that home but it is little nuances to his boxing game i mean look he's long trained with you know fernelli feliz uh senior there the the ex-pro boxer who fought you know heavyweight champions and and his boxing is you know we talk about the power but his boxing is also very just technically on point. So there's a lot of reasons coming into like Glover beyond just the romanticized old guy getting it done again. I'm excited. Still, I'm really that excited. convention that conventional game only works if you're being a uh, against Prohachka if you're being a bully with it, right? Like if you're really Fair. catching him between strikes, you're getting out of the way, and then you're just popping him with it. If you're just trying to go, you know, uh, like I'm going to just punch my way inside in a very conventional kind of way, do Prohachka will eat you alive. I mean, you would agree. He's a better athlete, far better athlete, at least at this stage of his career. He's certainly a he's better athlete. He's in sick shape. Yeah. Sick shape. Prohaska, Super explosive. Dude, just... He's very explosive. And, dude, he will take a risk. And that risk might cost him at certain times, but the rewards for it are extraordinary as well. So what I would say is, to me, the modus operandi is not to strike with this guy. It's to really lock up with him, make him wrestle, make him fight on the ground, do that kind of stuff. Because I honestly feel like, yes, it's not that Glover can't handle himself, and I take those points seriously, but I think that, that there, there, there would need to be a real clear sense of we have to limit the amount of exposure we have to this maniac who's out there spinning and jumping and all kinds of stuff. we got to make this a controlled contest, reduce all these other variables. That's what GSP did in his late career. Everyone was like, oh, GSP got boring. That's not quite right. Sometimes the fights were less exciting. But with the, in, the major insight to the sort of the second chapter of GSP's career was that when you wrestle a guy, if you're really good enough at it, you take out so many of these other variables because most guys don't have a guard game at this point where they can really be a true submission threat. Charles Oliveira and some other ones notwithstanding, but like the kinds of guys that St. Pierre was fighting. If you can make it that kind of a fight, it's a much more manageable affair. There's less chaos that you have to control for. Same with Habib as well. I really think at this stage of his game, that has to be the key consideration. If that is slipping, Prohachka is going to light him on fire. Right. Uh, so, look, Prohatska can end it, fitter, you know, f really at any time with, with one shot or, or one shot that sets up a finish. He's a physical presence. He's hungry. He seems to have he seems to have some of those intangibles in lockstep. So I want to ask you about those intangibles, because part of me wants to go, OK, what do I think this fight's going to look like? Is it comparable to like young Francis Ngannou against, you know, Stipe the first time? Not really, though, because Prohatska seems to be more advanced in certain areas where that version of Ngannou was very much a, a one-trick pony. So if that's true, what areas of Prohatska's game do you feel like you know about in terms of the intangible sense? Uh, his backbone, his chin, his gas tank, his adaptability, uh, his you know takedown defense. How strong do you believe some of those fundamental aspects are where you know if things might not be going his way, he may be able to make some adjustments? I tend to think that the biggest thing that makes his game work is two things. One, it's just, you know, it's a little bit risk-reward, as we mentioned before, right? But the one thing that really stands out about his game, especially in these last two UFC fights, the ones in in Japan, some of them were like this, some of them weren't. But certainly his last two against Uzdemir and Reyes, dude, he puts pressure on these guys. 
I mean, he marches them down. And again, he'll eat punches or strikes on the way all the time to deliver hellacious blows. Again, big, big strikes along the way. But he is constantly not allowing these guys to reset. I think that's a big deal, right? Making these guys back up, making them fight off the back foot, making them have to choose a strike to throw that maybe if they had a little bit more. I mean, think about this. You know this is true from boxing, BC. Dude, one second in boxing is an eternity. Against somebody who's very good, it's an eternity. So if you can constantly make a guy have less time to pick whatever strike or offensive maneuver he would like to use, you're going to make them pick suboptimal things over time, and that is all he really needs. I mean, I take that threat quite seriously. That, to me, is the big thing, dude. If Glover really wants to win, yes, we talked about the takedowns, but resisting uh, um, consistent pressure from Prohachka is going to be absolutely critical. If he can't do that and he's just kind of like, you know, trying to keep his head above water to to keep up with it, he's going to lose that bout 10 times out of 10. Right now, no one can play speed chess with Prohachka, even though he gets hit. You see the numbers, almost seven strikes a goddamn minute. But it doesn't matter because of all the other things. Yeah, that's a great point about the idea of of someone always being in a suboptimal position because... There, you're going to be caught off guard in any situation against Prohatska because as soon as he lands something, you'll get a feel of that power and the speed behind it, and you're like, oh, hold on. But then he's putting on that mental pressure from constantly walking you down and the threat of the explosion. And Luke, I think we would be fair to say here from a quick twitch fiber standpoint, from an NFL linebacker crushing the quarterback sort of explosiveness, he seems to very much be a plus athlete. I mean, there is, you know... There's something there that makes him very dangerous on top of the fact that he's doing unorthodox things at times. That has to come from somewhere. So why don't we bring in our colleague once in a while here on CBS Sports and Morning Combat, uh, Shaquille Majori, Luke. He caught up with Yuri Prohatska ahead of this. Uh, I believe you can watch the full interview on his Shaq MMA uh, channel on YouTube. But you know this this Persian prince, this um, this French-Canadian by birth. Uh he said, Yuri, you know, what did you do early on to sort of develop this type of uh, explosiveness? Let's go to the videotape here. When I was a child, I catch these lizards every every summer because every summer I had a, a, a big, uh, how to say, big park, uh, big park uh, next to my house. And there was a big grass and a lot of, but fucking speed lizards, <laughs> yeah. And and uh, and and my 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 mission was to catch every lizard on on, on this in the in this grass, and and uh, that was my training. That was my training for the reflection and for for everything. Yeah. <laughs> a good hand I, speed. I did that day by day, every day. I, I catched a full of full box of, of, of lizards. Then I, I released them. Look, he's, he's delightfully amazing. weird. First of all, he's awesome. But would you say, given that Roy Jones Jr., like the Rocky movies, grew up, you know, on a farm in Florida where there's chickens and cocks, and he's sort of just, you know, squatting down and chasing after him, and you know the sort of freak athleticism of Roy Jones. There seems to be something there, Luke. Dude, he's. Is this what? Uh, like, remember, was it Rocky who was chasing the chickens? Right. Indeed. It's been so long since I've seen, but um, that's what's. He's. He is so out there. He's so different. But I tell you what, man, he's so full of confidence. You know, 
Like he's so sure of the path. He's so he's so sure of his methods and and the the way in which um, his life has been guided by whatever force it's been guided by his own work. However things go, he just seems he's he he dude he very. This is one of the better parts of MMA. Like MMA has a lot of weirdos who are bad people, but it also has M- weirdos who are like delightfully weird in the way that you've described. <laughs> Dude, he marches to the beat of his own drum in all the best ways possible. And then you add in the fact that he like forget all the lizard chasing stuff. He's a sick athlete. And I want to point out one other thing too. Like he's got this weird way of looking at the world. Do you remember when he fought? I think it was Reyes. Maybe it was Uzdemir too. I can't remember now at this point. But remember he kept holding his hand like this. Like he was like concealing it, and then he would throw it on these like offbeat rhythms in the in the, the wildest way possible. He's unpredictable too. We talk about his pressure, we talk about his dirt and uh, his durability and his explosivity. The other part is he's just a little hard to get a beat on because he does yeah. stuff that other people don't do. This is again, I'm going to say it. The more you, you should get a stopwatch. The more time that this fight stays on the feet, there's going to be diminishing returns for Glover. Glover has to take all no of that doubt. away if he wants to win. And, and, you know, like I talked about that mental pressure, that's part of it, not knowing where the next strike's going to come from. But I do think Glover Teixeira, if anyone, is, you know, he can handle that. Uh, you know, he still can get knocked out. But you get what I'm saying. I don't think Glover will break because of the pressure and the orthodox, unorthodox threats. I think he'll break if those unorthodox threats land, for sure. But there is a difference there. Uh, but, you know, Prohaska, Luke, as much as we are romanticizing old guy Glover for all the right reasons and kind of like, you know, we sat down with him on the couch. He's amazing. If he wins, you'll be like, damn, you know, score one for the old guys. On the flip side, Prohaska is really the perfect fan-friendly uh, champion if he gets there because of the all-action variety, the, the, the unorthodox nature. But also, Luke, he's like cosplaying in real life as like a ninja. I mean, he's like a video game character. It's great. The shtick rules. I love it. So if that's the direction this fight goes, you're certainly going to love that. But it is just his third UFC fight. And bringing back in Shaq, Luke, uh, Shaq Missouri did say, look, uh, what did you learn from watching Glover Teixeira against Jan Blahovich? you know, that can inform your chances of taking the title on Saturday? Everybody sees that. Everybody sees that. That was not the Jan who's fought with uh, with the Reyes or, or whoever. Yeah. <laughs> that was just an, another another Jan Bohovic. and okay. and it's up to us how we uh, how we know how to how to work with ourselves mm-hmm. how to uh, how to how to say, uh, how to start or yes. how to work with ourselves when it's some something bad something uh, good something uh yeah sometimes you are mm. so much energy and you, you have to keep yourself down sometimes you are so down so you have to, mm, to uh, keep keep yourself more more up yeah like uh in energy For sure mm. luke although that was a lot of uh <laughs> weirdness in that the point of how he started it is yuri believes that was not Jan Blahovich that night. And we have talked about this. That's the worst night at the office for Blahovich. You know, he said afterwards he his body sort of failed him. He just didn't feel like himself. It happens. You can have an off night. How much should we be looking at that and sort of saying, maybe there's some fool's gold. Like, great victory, Glover. You were the right guy at the right time. But this ain't Jan. And this also ain't compromised Jan. This is a whole different beast in Prohatska. Um... I'm willing to accept that that was not Jan's best night, but I also think that 
you know, Glover didn't do anything outrageous relative to what Glover does. That was pretty standard Glover, if you ask me. So while I can accept that a, a, another fight with Blahovich could go differently, it wasn't like you can say that Jan had an off night, fine, but you can't say that Glover had like some exceptional night. Glover just did Glover things. So, um, Fine, I'm willing to believe that. But, dude, the, the bigger point is Blahovich and Prochka are just entirely different fighters. You know, Blahovich can blitz on occasion, but he's very careful about seeing what's coming, checking kicks, getting out of the way, firing when he has a good opportunity, defensively wrestling when he has to, offensively wrestling when he has to. Like, there's very, there's just real careful consideration about his game in large part. Prochka is the exact opposite of that, dude. He is. I mean, he is just a, a the Tasmanian devil in there. So, you know, whether or not it's true that Glover beat an opponent who was somewhat less of himself, and maybe there's something to be said for that. But at the same time, they're such radically different opponents. I, I don't really know what to infer from that other than that they, they were what they were, which is a tautology. But, you know, that is that is the case. Indeed, indeed. All right, Luke, it's time to take this thing home for this main event fight. Uh, one more tidbit. It's a little more of the magic side of it, but Glover Teixeira did say, I believe in the UFC countdown episode, that when he bought his house, and he told us, you know, he still lives in a very humble house. I think he said he bought it after like his third or fourth UFC fight. In the basement, there were four walls, and he said to himself at that point, my goal, he bought four poster frames. He says, my goal is to have one on each wall, and he's referencing him as the face of the poster headlining a pay-per-view. And he said, basically, I had one with Jones, and then I had one with, you know, when I won the title, and now I got one here, I need one more. Okay? Maybe that's just, you know, again, romanticized, like, you know, maybe there's one more. If he wins here, there's probably will be one more. Um, call me crazy here, Luke. I'm riding the old man's strength. The more mm. I look at this, I know the danger. I know that year is just different. But I also know the 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 unexplained the potential weaknesses, the unknown about what does this fight look like if it goes in rounds four and five? How does Yuri respond if he gets ragdolled for a couple rounds and his gas tank really gets yanked on? There's a lot of things here. I've also seen Glover at this level recently take big strikes and come back and respond from major adversity. I, I'm liking Glover Teixeira by submission here, Luke. Call me crazy. I don't think it's crazy at all. The, uh, the odds speak to this being very, very, very close. I mean, very close. This is a very difficult fight to... I know some folks are going to be, oh, Prohachuk's going to win no problem. And maybe there's some folks who think the same about Glover, given some of the other considerations. But to me, this is very much a coin flip. In the interest of the segment, I'm going to ride with Prohachka. I have gone back and forth and back and forth. I absolutely do believe that people are sleeping on Glover. Perhaps I am one of them by virtue of picking Prohachka. I don't think so. I take Glover's chances of winning quite seriously, but I just feel like while I, here's what I'll here's what I think, Prohachka's style is going to cost him eventually. I really believe that unless he does something to clean it up, somebody is going to take advantage of it as he gets older and the durability is not there. Like he's coasting a little bit on the fact that his body can accept this damage. Well, when the body can't, the the way in which all the other pieces work will fall apart. It is contingent upon him being durable. But he is durable. And so while I have some questions about his ground game, they are real ones. And Glover is a, a legit black belt, certainly for MMA purposes on the ground. I think Prohach is going to find a way to get it done. I think the the vulnerability of a guy like Glover is probably maybe going to show itself here a little bit against a just a wild Bronco 
of a fighter in Prohodka. So it's a coin flip, really, but I'll slightly lean towards Prohodka. I can't wait for this. Seriously, this has been a sort of a slow burn and brew, and now you know we got closer, and it's like, damn, I really, really love this fight. I can't wait to see how it turns out. Luke, uh, the co-main event offers yet another title fight as Valentina Shevchenko looks for the seventh defense of her 125-pound title. She welcomes Tyla Santos riding a four-fight win streak from Brazil. Uh, we talked earlier this week, Luke. Santos has the best odds as an underdog of any one of the seven title defenses. Only Joanna in in uh, their vacant title bout had, had a closer chance, according to odds makers. We've done that debate, Luke. Is it better for Santos to be fully well-rounded to have the best shot at, at upsetting Shevchenko? Or, or does it need to be that one dominant skill? But when you watch these UFC highlight packages, and I know sometimes they're infused with sort of, you know, comments that puff fighters up and forgets flaws or, or losses or whatever, but, you know, they tend to frame Tyler Santos as, as a damaging, deadly striker. Do you believe she has the striking if she obviously has the chin game plan and all those other intangibles behind that? To potentially make this at least a competitive fight on the feet, Luke. Are we going to see a, a anything but the type of one-sided rampages that we've come to know from Valentina at this weight class? No, actually, this one could be a little... Um, what would be a decent comparison? Not, in the, not that it might look the same, but it might have a certain kind of feel, which is to say Holloway versus Edgar, which, you know, you look at the scorecards and Holloway ran away with it, but each round was kind of close because Holloway had to defend takedowns and there was not a whole lot of offense that either guy was meaningfully able to land. Holloway obviously got the better of it, but, you, you know, the thing is, it's like, I think Santos can make this close and people don't want to admit this, but Shevchenko can all routinely be a very defensive fighter. Everyone and their brother wants to blame the Carmouche versus Shevchenko fight strictly on Carmouche. And okay, she bears a ton of responsibility and probably more because she was the one who wanted to wrestle the title away, so to speak. And so you should probably do more if that's your opportunity. Still, it wasn't like Shevchenko was some kind of offensive dynamo in that fight. There's been a lot of fights where she's not been an offensive dynamo. Now, obviously, we have the Jessica I fight and some other ones as well. You know, Juliana Pena, where she's been a dynamic finisher, but... Um, Tyler Santos is very good, and she is very well-rounded. She can wrestle a little bit. She can push the the pace when she needs to. She has good striking, good shot selection. She has good cardio from what I've seen. She has good uh, ground and pound on top at times. Yeah, dude, she can do a lot. I, but I go back to what we said on Wednesday, BC, which was, okay, can she make this competitive? No doubt in my mind she's going to make this competitive. But what does she have that's going to get her over the hump? Right. to make Shevchenko make a mistake. What's that one skill she can lord over her? Dude, I don't see that. That's the part I don't see. Yeah, it's like, can you talk yourself into the idea that she can land enough strikes early and put the threat of her power out there that Valentina goes into a much more defensive uh, type of setup and looks to counterpunch? Uh, certainly that's possible here. But Shevchenko also can completely win fights from that posture and completely shut you down. And it's like... I, I like I, I got excited when this fight was announced openly because it's it's sort of like, OK, someone fresh blood, someone new, different, a little bit, you know, more in their in their absolute prime, more of a, on, a, on a confident run, everything. But when you look at a champion that has dominated for so long and we've all, we've done this with all of them with Amanda Nunes recently, you start starting to look, you know, during the reign is it, are they getting older without us really realizing it? is their focus going? Is their commitment going I just, you know, are they overconfident? While Valentina is supremely confident, I still don't even think she's overconfident. I don't see any flaw or hole in her game. 
So it's like, could Tyler Santos slow the pace down with the threat of restriking and kind of make this into a weird sort of chess match that could open the door for her to push forth late and try to steal the fight, that would really need to see a very passive Shevchenko. That would need to see a Shevchenko who, when she makes that adjustment, starts counter-striking and looking to land big shots, that Santos would have the adjustment on top of that to try to force out, you know, deeper down the hand of Shevchenko. What's your plan C and D and E? I mean, what plan can she push her to? What what's a win here for Tyla to push Shevchenko into plan B of her of her of her attack? That might be. I'm still not in a position where I can realistically create a path to victory in my mind because this fighter is an alien. This fighter is just the the uh, almost perfect Luke. This is an almost perfect fighter that you're looking at at the absolute peak apex of her of her greatness. And I'm just saying, not now, not this time, not this opponent. It, I've been wrong before. Thank you, Juliana Pena. But but this ain't it, Luke. I mean, I was going to say uh, I would be prepared for, you know, again, MMA is crazy. So, you know, take this with a grain of salt that everyone has to understand that, you know, making bold predictions in MMA is not wise. But one thing I would say you should at least consider, this fight could be quite boring. It could be quite boring because Santos might find herself in a position where she's really not able to exact much damage or land with a whole lot. And then Shevchenko is a little bit ahead of her, maybe gets a takedown, doesn't necessarily do a whole lot with it. And so you're like, okay, you'll lean toward the champion, but nothing really of significance happens either way. More so for Shevchenko than the other way around. But, you know, and it could be five rounds of that. This could not, this could very well be the kind of thing that doesn't, would be very impressive in the sense that, you know, it would be another title defense for Shevchenko, but like not the one you look back on as, oh, right, this was one of the most dynamic performances of her career. Again, I'm going to go back to it. Shevchenko can retreat to relatively defensive postures um, in terms of how she fights. This is not like Jessica I, who's going to march her down and then just get timed by virtue of the way in which she's galloping in. Santos is much more clever than that. So I would be cautious about this one. I, I don't really see a clear path for Santos to win, but I would very much caution folks being like, oh, well, Shevchenko's just some beast. She's going to knock her head off. Uh, I don't know about yeah. that either. So you're saying it may end up having to be a four rounds to one for Shevchenko, but you're like, man, that was way more competitive. And, and But, you know, the thing that doesn't give me any worry should Santos overachieve, you know, more than we think, but not enough to take over the fight, that Shevchenko could be threatened to to lose, you know, a backdoor decision on a lack of output. Because you can, argue, you can look back on the Jennifer Maya fight, and even though she wasn't compromised, meaning the champion... Uh, physically from like taking big damage strategically in the way you look and potentially judge the rounds with the wrestling success of Maya, there were adjustments needed and you did see Shevchenko in the championship rounds, Luke, you know, speed up her output and really try to take it to, to Maya on the feet. <laughs> now is, is Talia Santos a, a more dangerous threat on the feet than Jennifer Maya? I would say, of course. So yes. it may not be that cut and clean and easy, but you know, I just, again, I can't find a hole in Shevchenko's game that, that can be exploited in this matchup. But, you know, that's why we tune in. That's why we watch him. And, again, I, I hate to put that as a damper on a fight that I got excited when it was booked for all the right reasons. And it's still going to be interesting to watch come Saturday night, Luke. Dude, I mean, just just consider this, right? Just consider this. Strikes absorbed per minute for Valentina Shevchenko, 1.87. Dude, they can oh, barely boy. land a glove on her. That is so insanely low not just for any fighter, but for a ranked fighter, and especially for a ranked fighter who's got this many fights in the UFC, she just doesn't get hit very cleanly very often. She doesn't take a lot of damage. 
Her takedown defense at 77%. That's pretty good. Santos, by the way, her takedown defense at 88%, which is also pretty good. Um, and they both, I mean, they're, they're, again, I'm, I, I hate to use this word, BC, and, and I really want to avoid it. I can't stand when a good athlete is described as like a poor man's version of like a great athlete or a very, very elite athlete. It's just that Tyler Santos happens to be good at many of the same things that Shevchenko is, just a, just a half step behind, just a half yeah. step behind all the way. So she could make it competitive. She could have the fight of her night, but she's going to have to show us something against Shevchenko that while the stats speak to her how good she is, there's going to have to be another level she reaches, which she might. It's certainly possible. But remember, Tyler Santos, just 19-1, and one, dude. Like they don't, there's not a lot of gaps in her game either. Yeah, you know, I look back and I thought the Andrade fight would be competitive. And then, you know, when, when Valentina did absolutely destroy her, you go, okay, but, you know, Andrade is sort of a one-note fighter. So I could see where she could be exposed if you can take her to that point. Santos is so well-rounded that I'm pretty confident this one's going the distance, Luke. I like Valentina by, by decision. Couldn't she finish her? Of course. But I'm going to give Santos the respect and, and say that she is going to make Shevchenko have to make adjustments to, to some things. But in the end, who's going to do the better work? Dude, the thing about Shevchenko, I think above all else, what I love, her accuracy is just ridiculous. And it's, it allowed her to be an undersized sharpshooter at Bantamweight. But at 125, when the size is more even, Luke... I mean, she just doesn't miss, whether she's counterpunching, whether she's leading with the jab, whether she's throwing combos to the body, kicks. I mean, she is just so uh, on point that it is going to be hard to get a decision against her. Let's go four rounds to one, Shevchenko. Yeah. yeah, by the way, to your point, I mean, this is what I mean about the difference between Shevchenko and Santos, right? Shevchenko, striking accuracy, 52%. That's pretty good. Striking accuracy for Santos, 50. Just a tick behind. This is what I mean. You see this constantly. Just a little tick behind in all kinds of ways. So I take your point. I agree with you. I think Shevchenko's going to win probably you know four rounds to one, something like that as well. I, I share your pick. Um, but I would caution folks. Oh, the one little the one little note here. Santos does have a two-inch reach advantage. Could be noteworthy. Also, this is going to be Southpaw versus Orthodox, open stance, which means there could be, there is a little bit of a propensity for what that could mean with head kicks, body kicks, uh, straights and crosses given when you have that opposite stance there. That could get a little interesting. Also, headbutts, too. So, something to pay attention to with that, but I agree with your assessment. Four rounds to one, probably, for Shevchenko. I certainly think she wins here. All right, the only non-title fight of this uh, trio of big fights topping the card is arguably the best one here, and certainly the people's main event from the fan love standpoint, and it's a rematch of former 115-pound champions Zhang Weili and Joanna Young Jacek. Wei Li with the disputed but earned, of course, uh, split decision win in 2020, right before the pandemic. The greatest fight in female MMA history. And both, Luke, fighting again for another shot at the title. Something Dana White doubled down on again this week. Absolutely, this is a number one contenders match. Luke, I know I said things on, on Monday that were made it confusing and made it sound like I thought this was a five-round fight. Yeah, I was, re I was, I was referencing... That, yes. I was referencing when it was originally thrown out there by Joanna that if the fans won at five rounds, it could be, and I was sort of tailoring my an early analysis toward that. I do know that it is now three rounds, although I, I mistakenly said, you know, could it be four rounds to one, which makes you think. Forget about it. It's three rounds. On a, on a surface, okay? We, we already laid the foundation of uh, two years later, Joanna hasn't fought, but she's refreshed. Wei Li lost twice to Rose Namajunas, but she seems not only refreshed, but a, a better fighter. How much will the three-round distance impact the pace, the strategy, everything we're going to see Saturday night? Because it's so damn rare to see either of these fighters in a big three-round fight. 
dude, I so I rewatched the first fight last night. I got to tell you, there are so many different ways this could go. I was blown away by just. So the biggest first thing I saw was a lot of the leg kicks. Now, they were a consistent presence for Joanna, but she had to kind of dial them back uh, early in the second round because she was getting timed and blitzed off of them by Zhang Weili. So to what extent is the kicking game going to be distributed, head, body, and then leg? That's a big question mark for me. Another one was um, you saw Zhang Weili saying she's going to wrestle more. Now she's with Henry Cejudo. You saw her catch kicks a little bit in the fight with Joanna, but you saw her catch a bunch in the case of Rose Nama Yunus. So, dude, like, you know that the punching power of, of Ioana and Jacek is not significant. I think that's pretty fair to say. She can land and it matters and it hurts opponents. But you think of the more devastating things she's done. It's leg kicking. It's elbowing along the fence line. Her elbows are vicious. I certainly grant her that. But the punching power is not super significant in this weight class. So the kicking game is going to have to be a part of it. To what extent can Zhang Weili neutralize that? On the other hand, one thing that did seem kind of interesting to me is Zhang Weili is a very good athlete. But her ground control is not super strong. She's a little loose with her positioning. And so as a consequence, Rose is able to like kick her off and stand numerous times. To what extent will she try and like, you know, have a much more like I'm gonna wrap the head with my arm to control the the, the spine at the, the two opposite ends? What's that gonna be like? Is 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 Joanna gonna be able to get up? Another one was, you know, you heard the commentators being like, oh, well, Zhang Weili is stronger in the clinch, and that's gonna prove itself. It was somewhat neutral-ish in the first fight, BC. But what I did notice was if you ask me who got more offense in those positions, it was Joanna and Jacek. She was able to do much more with those positions than in terms of meaningful offense, I'll say, than Zhang Weili. So, dude, you go back, you're asking about the three rounds. I think that's going to make the pace electric, but it's more yeah. about what changes are they going to have to make to get their best offense there. And the big challenge for Yun Jacek is kicking is really her way to win this one. That, I think that's just going to be a reality. Yes, other things complementing. It's not just kicking, of course. But that's the big, big method of her of her offense. If Zhang Wai Li can take away the leg kicks and or you know catch kicks and then constantly dump her for it, even if there's no meaningful offense, what is the secondary way for her to win? It's funny. Yoana is a crisper, more, I think, direct kind of striker. She's just got real clear, clean technique. Zhang Wai Li is a better athlete, but she's much more all over the place a little bit. And if she can dial that back, or conversely, if Joanna can open up a little bit, dude, this fight could look very different than the first one. I actually am more intrigued about this one, but maybe the main event I'm most intrigued about. But with any other fight on the card, it's definitely this one. This one could be of extraordinary, course. but a completely different fight the second time around. Absolutely. I mean, you, just the fact that it's a rematch of the greatest you know, female fight of all time and really a top three or five you know, regardless of gender fight, if we're really being serious, and now you got the title on top of it, the title potential for the winner. Oh, man. I mean, it, it, it's it's wild. Look, they came in ridiculously good shape for this. Did you see them on the scales and then the face-off? Like, they are prepared to go after it. But your point uh, about it, it, not only were we going to see a high pace, I think it's guaranteed. When you go from five rounds to three and knowing it's a smaller, you know, uh, window to get your offense in, of course, but it's going to be the adjustments and the nuances that make it. And uh, I don't know if you caught Brett Okamoto of ESPN.com's oral history of their first fight in which he chatted with both fighters, trainers, the ref, the one of the three judges. Uh, it's a good, you know, in, insightful piece. You hear Mike Brown, the coach of uh, Young Jacek at ATT, and Joanna herself say, you know, they came in with a very different game plan that, that was going to be more about distance and kicks and a lot of things you're saying, Luke. 
but it turned instead into Ioana just biting down and doing what she loves, which is just mauling and fighting and trying to prove to the other person that she can outlast them. And, you know, she's out cardioed a lot of people with that sort of just ridiculous demon that she keeps inside of her Luke that's just going to keep coming at a huge pace. It's not that she didn't make slight adjustments and do certain things. I mean, really, both both of them, as much as we think of it as two trains colliding over and over, there, there. if you rewatch it, like you mentioned, there is so, some adjustments. It still was arguably a, an overly aggressive Ioana. With the time off, physically and mentally now being refreshed, could you see her and Mike Brown coming out with, uh, a mo- you know, still high-paced, still movement-based, but a lot more misdirection, a lot more control of distance. Yes. Because if they do stand and trade, uh, you know, I know you want to said in that Brett piece that everyone says Whaley's the bigger puncher, but you know, rewatch the fight. I'm I'm the one landing the bigger shots, and she's not catching me as clean as people think. I don't think you want to stand and trade with Whaley in the rematch. She's even stronger and even better of a fighter there. Uh, how what, what do you see from Coach Mike Thomas Brown here in in Yoana in terms of how they might look at this? Faints, faints. And I know that's sort of like an overused thing here, but you go back and you watch the first fight. Joanna was fainting a lot in the first round and then just gave it up completely, you know, and for the reasons you stated, like it just turned into, it just, the fight turned into what it turned into, which is better for us. And it was a tremendous contest, but Joanna kind of gave up on that early. And again, that was part of the leg kicks too. She was kind of fainting, fainting and trying to get a leg kick. And then all Zhang Wiley was waiting for was the leg kick to then, to then blitz. But I really believe to that point, like there's a couple of times, for example, you'll see Joanna duck in, come in to throw a shot, whatever, come over the top, and then just stand right back up. Now, why do I bring this point up? Because if you come in like this and then you stand up, it doesn't matter that your head is lowered. It's still on the same vertical, or I should say horizontal line. The vertical line changes, sorry, the vertical space changes, but the horizontal line is simply right there in front of you. So you would just see Zhang Wiley match it and then come up with the left hook because the head didn't move. What you need to see... I think from Ioana in this fight are feints, and I'm going to add angles on top of that. Angles, 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 angles. If you can misdirect, if you can get her to stutter step, if you can get the timing or the hands to transfer defense, that's big. But if you're just going in there and slugging it out with someone who, yes, I do think that Ioana is a better striker than Zhang Wiley, but not by necessarily a huge margin. It's significant, but not that big. But I also think, BC, and I think you would agree, again, I scored the first fight for Ioana. The big difference to me was power and athleticism and a little bit of durability. You just, that's a, I'm not saying you want to can't win playing that game again, but dude, that's probably not your best method of victory. Your best method of victory is going to be getting in, getting out, getting in, changing angles, and then popping her after that. That's got to be the key. And the key to doing that is going to be feints, footwork, and angles, rolling under hooks, you know, changing, pivoting, all that kind of stuff. She has to really put that into this because if it's just two bulls or two rams running into each other hey that's a hell of a fight for us and again the first right. time i did think you want i should have gotten her hand raised but that's a you can admit you can admit dude that's a that's a really sketchy proposition that's hardly any kind of clear roadmap to success and you've only got three rounds too. BC, some of the better rounds for you want to happen a little bit later in the fight absolutely dude, this this has got to be a this has got to be a smarter fight i, I think mean, for you if she wants to win Think about the second Claudia Godella fight uh, from 2016, the title fight, UFC 200 weekend. Um, that was Godella winning the first two rounds, the first two and a half rounds, really, with with, with wrestling and, and pace. And then once she started to fade just a bit from all the energy she used, Joanna comes on because she's just a cardio fitness freak. 
in three rounds, she's going to have to do a lot, but it's going to have to be not always moving forward. It's like we're saying, the feints, the circling away, but you see the shape she, I mean, look, she's in sick shape this time around, as is Wei Lee. I wonder if that, I mean, that's got to be, the lack of power in Yoana forces her to have to use her cardio and her speed and her pace uh, as a weapon. So I think that's automatic in this case. But you said you, you scored it for Ioana. I scored it 3-2 to two for Whaley, but I think we both can say it, it, it's a coin flip. But if you're going to ask me why did I ultimately score it 3-2 for Whaley, I thought she landed the harder blows. So if, if the offense is fairly even, it looked like she did more damage. And why did it look like? Well, there's a giant thing growing out of Ioana's head. So let me ask you this, Luke, because if you do read that Okamoto piece, Ioana says, look... It was my body's reaction to like a you know blood vessel being popped or whatever happens to create a hematoma like that. But she's like, it didn't hurt. These 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 punches that that Whaley were landing weren't as big as people thought they looked. I was getting out of the way a lot of those. But she believes the visual image is ultimately what swayed the judges in a fight that's so damn close. Now look, that the the thing started really in round three. It was a headbutt in round one that started it, but it really went big in round three. And all three judges scored that round for Ioana, and that's the only round of the five rounds where all three judges agreed. So you can argue, but do you think there's something there that if you do look back at the first fight and take away that hematoma, if you can, in your mind, did Ioana visually have the better striking night, and should she have gotten the, the hand raised, and how much do you believe that grotesque softball potentially in rounds four and five swayed the judges the other way? I'm less sympathetic to that being a contributing factor. I mean, I, I certainly recognize it probably did. I'm not going to say that, oh, it played no role. Eh, it probably played a role. But this was the bigger one to me, and this was the one knock. Like, when I was watching it yesterday, I was like, through three rounds, I was like, how did I score this fight for Ioana? And then she kind of came on a little bit later. Um, although you could say she won the first one as well, but the first round. But the the point that I want to make was the one thing I did maybe not pay as much attention to the first time that I did see the second one, which I think maybe contributed to why folks scored it for Zhang Wiley, which I share your assessment is a utterly reasonable scorecard. Dude, when when Zhang Wiley hit her, she moved a lot more. And when Yoana hit her, it wasn't quite like that. Now Yoana did bloody her up, swole her face up. Don't get me wrong, after five rounds of that. Neither of them were coming out of there looking like they were ready for the prom. But, you know, you could see there were times where she would stumble Joanna, even if it were not like rocking her, just the force of the impact pushing her off of her base, pushing her off of her balance. I think there was a lot of those that made a big difference. Also, I'm going to go back to it, BC. You know, you can say whether you, this should matter or shouldn't, or it's applied unevenly. I go back to the fact that Israel Adesanya or Adesanya or Adesanya or whatever, the, I don't know how to say it. The point is, a lot of times he accumulates leg kicks, and a lot of folks don't like that. And it can get real difficult to assess what's the difference between that and then someone punching him and rocking his head back. But dude, getting your head rocked back is a very demonstrative thing. Unless you stumble on the leg on a leg kick, you know it doesn't look the same way, even though those leg kicks could be impactful. I guess the point I'm trying to make is, the, the better athlete, certainly the stronger athlete of the two is Zhang Weili, and... Her punching power appears to be much more significant. And I think that True. over time was probably a bigger role to play there. Although some, they both landed elbows on each other and both of those elbows caused visible damage as well. Absolutely. Uh, Luke, if we paint that potential scenario where it did 
the visual, you know, hurt Ioana's chances. On the Whaley side, even though she didn't make it in that story a point to try to make it as an excuse, but just telling her story, sometimes we forget that this fight happened right before the pandemic, but things were already starting to shut down. And Zhang Whaley's journey to that fight in Las Vegas that night uh, was wild. She had like last minute drop everything, fly to what, Thailand? And then they suddenly told her, no, you have to fly to Abu Dhabi if you want to make the fight in Vegas. So then she did that. And then she says, by the time she got to Vegas, She's just a zombie, and she essentially went into that fight on instinct in some ways. If you're gonna if you're gonna lean on that as as a sort of way, I almost can believe it, Luke, because I respect the journey she went on, and she did seem to get off to a little bit of a slow start and got surprised by Joanna before kind of just getting into zombie mode herself and coming forward. <laughs> I know she's lost twice since then, but we certainly can both agree that she not only seems to have gotten stronger, bulked up, rounded out her game better with the wrestling. But I don't really see any compromise from the physical toll she took in that fight or the first round head kick knockout against Rose. Maybe that was a little bit, you know, less of, of, of the prime premier version she could have been that night. And she just gutted it out and won it. Another thing to think about. Yeah, that's fair. Also, the one thing that was kind of big the first time around will be something to pay attention to. They talked about how important the weight cut was for Joanna. Yes. And how the fact that she was durable was a function of having a better weight cut. I don't know what kind of weight cut she had. You saw her on the scales. I did too. Tremendous physical condition. But, you know, it does seem to me that, like, her weight cut has to be exactly on point for her to have the kind of durability she needs. Now, again, I'll go back to it. Three-round contest versus a five, whatever. But, dude, she was getting lit up in the first two rounds. All three rounds, both of them were getting lit up. Um, I, I am also, in, the, in addition to the facts you're bringing up for, for her opponent... I also want folks to remember that if there's any issues with her weight cut, that could also change the equation here as well. But yes, dude, Zhang Weili, and don't forget, she got with Henry Cejudo in the whole nine yards and um, Yuri Prohachka as well to an extent. Uh, a lot of X factors that could make, yeah. I, I really believe that this one is, dude, totally up for grabs. Totally yeah. up Yolanda for grabs. Yeah, did a did appear to make the weight good, though, and her and Mike Brown both put that on Instagram. I know, you know, you can just yes. say it, but ever since you want to start using the Performance Institute to cut weight, it has changed for not only her, but a lot of fighters, and it's been a relief, and now she's doing it the right way. Let's not forget, back during a reign, I remember it was UFC 211, uh, not 211, uh, yeah, the one in Dallas, right? That was 211, that was, what, 2017, where yes, I talked to her. Yes, and she fought Andrade, yes. Yes, and she was basically saying, like, you know, I don't think I can make this weight again. I want to eventually have children. Like, this is maybe unhealthy for me, and... Uh, I think the, the stark difference between now and then is just the, the education and learning how to do it, you know, properly, the scientific way. So I don't think that'll be a problem. God, the idea of five rounds to three, Luke, is just making me uh, think, even with the strategic and uh, changes we're going to see, that it may just end up being a perfect. It may just end up being beautiful in the end. But who gets the damn edge? I, I, Luke, I, dude, I wonder if they look at the tape and think, well, Waylee got caught with that head kick from Rose. Is she vulnerable there? You said kicking could be a bit has to be a big part of her game. We don't look at Joanna, uh, you know, as the kicking. We look at for for you know calf strikes and sort of controlling distance. But do you ever look at Joanna as a dangerous kicker, a fight ending kicker? She's had two years, and she's you know to her credit, despite taking the time off, has been in the gym consistently and always training. Could we see an advanced kickboxing game out of her Has that, that the two years may have hid from what she's been working on? What do you mean? Could we see Joanna threatening to end fights with kicks like Rose did to Wei Lee in their first oh, fight? Oh, oh. Um, possible, unlikely. 
unlikely. She plays a distance game, too, where she likes to be very careful about it to just land clean. Again, okay, here's what I'll say. Here's what I'll say. If she can, like, Rose puts in feints and movement and whatnot. If Joanna can incorporate some of that, get out of that sort of, like, plant your feet tie style, which, of course, is the one she comes from. She can adapt. Uh, she can adapt to a more movement-based style a little bit, and again, doesn't have to be tremendous, but a little bit it makes a, makes a big difference. Yes, then it's very possible. But short of that, no. All right, as it goes, Luke. Here's the deal. I think there's too many factors when you. I mean, you have to break it down with a fine tooth comb. You have to guess on things you don't know. How much will the layoff affect Joanna? How much, you know, do, how much is the receipt from that first fight going to affect her? We haven't seen her since then. I think it's going to be close, and I really do think it's going to be great. But I think Whaley is just is just a little bit fresher, a little bit more well-rounded, and maybe there's just as many reasons to believe, you know, like I mentioned, that, you know, she got through a really tough night at the office the first time and got her hand raised, but I think she's even better now. She's just physically a force at this point. I think it'll be a three-round decision. I think there's reason to like Whaley more than Joanna. But I'm certainly not discounting the heart, the ingenuity, the strategy that Yuana Champion can bring back to this opportunity. I mean, look, you got to give her credit. The two years she took off, she played the game in terms of leverage and business the right way. She came back for big money in the fight she wanted. Now she's got a chance to go right back into another title fight. But Whaley's, in, in almost every category, is giving me reasons to like her just that much more entering this one. I got to tell you, if this was a five-round contest, I think I might change my pick. But... Because it's three, that's a big one for me. And the other one is, man, just too many questions for me with Joanna. I mean, the two-year-plus absence is, I, I don't know what to make of that. Again, I've said it before, I do think that's good for her health. And I do think that will be somewhat advantageous competitively in the sense that you can go into this fresh and not you know, completely damaged. On the other hand, that's a long time off. Who knows what condition she's in after that fight. Again, you're not going to leave that fight in the same condition that you entered it. And so for those reasons, I absolutely believe that this is a very winnable fight in either direction. But for those reasons aforementioned, I'm going to side with, with Zhang Wiley on this one. I just think that there's too many questions about Yoana. But I'll say this, dude. She comes out and she shows what she's made of. And, and there's a very real possibility of that. I'll be all too happy to eat crow. Like whatever my personal differences with her. I recognize she's a tremendous, tremendous talent, and I think if any fighter is capable of a big rebound, it's probably her. Yeah, and if and even if she, there is a rebound potential, just the same, I believe, for Joanna. Should she lose a great fight here, and I know she wants big fights only, but I mean, you know, you could imagine her rematching Andrade. She, uh, the trilogy with Rose could come up one day. I mean, there's still some, sure, you know, absolutely, really great fights she can make if she wants to. I can't wait for this one. All right, Luke. Topic four is a little bit of MMA smorgasbord. Let's stay on UFC 275. Unfortunately, we just lost another fight on the main card as Rogerio Bontarin had uh, weight issues, Luke, that forced him to not. I don't even think he made it to the scale. Unfortunately, his fight against uh, who was he fighting, Luke? Cape, Cape, Manny Cape, uh, Luke? Manel Cop. Uh, Manel Cop. Uh, I was looking forward to it. Would have been good. It's off the card now. So as you look up and down, obviously we talked about Jack Della, Madalena, uh, Bob Dabalina. Is that the best fight of what's left in terms of your interest heading into Saturday? Yeah, for me, that's definitely the one that's interesting. I will add one more to this. It's not crazy interesting to me, but I do like it. Uh, Brendan Allen taking on uh, Robert Whitaker, training partner, Jacob Malkoon. Jacob Malkoon ha is a bit of a grinder. I think Brent, here's the thing. I think Brendan Allen is very talented, very, very talented. 
but sometimes he has, I don't think, used all of his abilities in the way that he should, and that's a learning process. You know, it's hard, not for me to say. That's for his coaches to figure out and him as well. But I think that the ceiling on Allen is a little bit higher. But the Malcoon fight is interesting because Malcoon has got a real kind of meat and potatoes grinder attitude. But if Allen tries to get too clever with it, a guy like Malcoon could be trouble. However, if a guy like Allen really leans on his substantial abilities, and I do believe in them, he should win this one walking away. So this is going to be a real test of not his skills per se, but his maturity. His maturity through the learning experiences, yeah. both winning and losing, to get him to the next level. He's a very talented guy. I'd like to see that show up in this contest. Uh, Luke, I'm going to be looking at this welterweight bout between uh, Jake Matthews and Andre Fialo. We've seen some uh, good one. Mm -hmm. you know, equally big highs and lows for the Portuguese product Fialo. But Luke, he can hammer. Uh, you know, I think he could be somebody that, that can be coming on. So I'm going to be and focusing Jake Matthews on that. was, you know, a big promise out of Australia. And he's definitely gotten better. But I don't think he has quite reached the levels that folks thought he might. Uh, yes. I think folks, not that they were saying he's the next Robert Whitaker, but I think they had hopes that he would reach you know, a relatively similar level of ability or acclaim. And he's done well, 17-5 record, but he's not, certainly we would both agree he's not done what Robert Whitaker has done, not even close. Um, you know, Winning a fight like this doesn't get him there, but it puts him on a much better path than losing a fight like this. Losing a fight like this would kind of tell you, well, maybe that ship has sailed. Luke, the uh, MMA roundup news continues with UFC uh, cutting Louis Smolka, the 30-year-old, I believe he's, he lost uh, three of his last four, two of his last three. I can look it up. Uh, but still, Luke seemed to have something in the tank. Are you surprised by this? You know, I like Louis Smolka a lot. I've, I, I, his fight to me with Ben Wynn was one of my – I really enjoy that fight. I talk about it all the time. I thought the way in which he used guillotines to control the guy in the wrestling department was unbelievable. Um, he's a very talented guy. You know – did it work out for him in the UFC through two different stints? No, but to your point, I think just 30. And the other point is this, dude, he is an all-action, all-fun fighter. Win or lose, Louis Smolka is in very exciting contests. He himself said he was eager to try free agency. It's an interesting moment in free agency in MMA, such as you want to call it that. I think it there are there are still some really high moments left for him. Maybe not so much in the UFC octagon, but in some other places. So, sucks, but maybe uh, all's well that ends well, depending on how things turn out. Yeah, you mentioned the most damaging fact that yeah he did he had lost three of his last four, but they were they were big losses submitted by Casey Kenny, knocked out by Vince Morales, knocked out by Davy Grant. So uh, he swings big, he goes for it. He's fun to watch. We'll see where he bounces back in the future. Luke Dana White caught up with our friend Aaron Bronstetter of TSN, and you know Aaron was asking him about the likelihood of the UFC coming back to Canada soon, and Dana more or less said, "quote UFC unlikely to return to any countries with vaccine requirements." And basically said that uh, you know he doesn't he doesn't know he doesn't see Canada happening anytime soon because of that. Um, Luke, that's that's um, you know not crazy surprising, but also kind of interesting because are we in a good spot COVID wise? Are we going in the right direction? I, I feel like we kind of should be past this. No, um, I don't know. Uh, well, I mean it, it differs all over the planet, um, but certainly you know. Um, we're in a much better place than we were, either from seroprevalence in the population, access to vaccines, other Paxlovid, and other kinds of treatments. We're just in a much different place. I think the bigger issue is I'm going to give Dana the benefit of the doubt and, and assume that this is not really a political thing that he's actually engaging in, but rather a logistical one, which is I don't know if I can bring a proper card to a country that requires vaccines, given how few of the fighters on the roster 
are maybe eligible given that they've had it. So to me, if that's the limiting factor, then I don't really know what to say other than maybe the UFC could do more of an effort to get folks vaccinated. But I think we both know, you know, given the politics in the sport, that's probably, you know, trying to uh, piss into the wind a little bit. So I don't really know what to say, to be honest with you. I wish we weren't in this predicament, either with having to have this ridiculous disease that's out there that does what it does, or that people don't want the treatment or whatever you want to call vaccines, uh, or that there are ways that it's mandated across borders. All of it is regrettable, um, but if it's not going to change, Canada is just going to be asked out, I guess. I I don't know. Luke, is Dana White hoping the public forgets that he promised Taichi Palace a huge card for their willingness to break protocol? Or do you think Dana has forgot that he promised Taichi Palace? I think, I think Dana has. They can't do a fight night there. Like, they can't do, like, <laughs> one fight that was going to be at the Apex and just put it on Taichi Palace. But I guess you know what's happened? Someone over above, I, I guarantee Dana wanted to, because Dana's actually pretty good about being, I said I would do this, and... You know, like, for example, like, you know, if a fan was like, hey, can I get tickets back in the day? He would always like be good about that. I bet he wanted to. I bet what happened was somebody over his head over at Disney or ESPN was like, see, we're not going to revisit that moment in time. We're just going to move past it because I think there'd be some attention if he went back to Tachi. They'd be like, oh, the place that you promised we would do this where you wanted to like remember when they remember when Dana was like, oh, we figured it out like five days into covid shutdowns he was like yeah we figured this out i'm like well you definitely I have didn't. acquired an island yeah like you definitely Logan didn't yeah. uh i think yeah. that they just want to move past that that's probably what it all comes down to yes uh luke also in uh mma news uh askar askarov unfortunately pulling out of this uh must see flyweight bout scheduled for july 16th in uh in on long island he was supposed to fight alex perez the, the, the okay news is Alexandre Pantoja will fill in and still take on Perez. But Luke, Perez once fought for a title uh, at last, you know, as a last minute replacement. But I don't think he's fought since then. And in this past two years, he's had six consecutive fights get canceled. That's wild, Luke. I know, dude. That's the worst luck ever. But a lot of it was from the same guys, too. It's like, dude, maybe give him a fresh matchup. You know, and again, injuries happen. Crazy things happen. We know the sport. But like, it's like... Just, just rotate in a fret because there was a bunch that was supposed to happen with Matt Schnell, for example, and all those. Just rotate in somebody new. Give the guy somebody new, for fuck's sake, please. Yeah, I'm with you on that. Uh, Luke, also making big headlines. I know you put an extra credit video out about it. Uh, Tim Kennedy, the uh, the uh, military hero, I'll call him Luke. Damn right. Thank him. And uh, ex-UFC uh, Strikeforce fighter was on Ariel Hawani's uh, MMA Hour and they in person, and they kind of went deep on a lot of these uh Topics including the failed Bjorn Rebney led mixed martial arts what athletes association M A double M triple A double M triple A okay uh, we all know we look back on that as a bit of a joke GSP Cowboy Cerrone come out in the press conference arm in arm Dillashaw all that it fell apart quickly now we're kind of finding out based on Tim's uh, reveal here how it did Luke it just kind of seems like uh, everyone got scared and then the whole thing fell apart not surprising. But you had a pretty harsh take, or not harsh, an aggressive take in the stance that it's never going to happen. Is that true? Is that what you said, Luke? In my lifetime, I don't think it will. In my lifetime. And that um, means unionization, or at the very least, the, the fighters being willing to risk it all for a better future, is what you're saying. Yes, and you know, uh, Lucas Middlebrook, who was a, uh, who was, by the way, if you don't know who Lucas Middlebrook is, he was the attorney who ultimately was representing Nick Diaz when the commission tried to hand down a five-year sentence, and he was a bulldog. For Nick, and of course, there was a lot of public pressure, and a lot of that got walked back. So, 
um, Lucas Middlebrook has been at the forefront of fighter rights and fighter protections being missing. And I think we all agree that we would love to see more. The question is how you get there. There are some reasonable criticisms to make of what can actually be possible if you have a union, because what really drives up pay is in a league model where teams can bid. If you don't really have that, what really drives up pay? It's a fair argument to make. There are a lot of other protections you could get, though, from a walkout, such as you could get one from a, through a collective bargaining agreement. So there's a real question of like what is actually the best way to get most people paid, and the answer might be depending on what you mean by most people. You could probably get maybe more benefits for the bottom end of the UFC fighters through a collective bargaining agreement via a union, maybe less so for the top, and so is that a better arrangement? But here's the bigger point. If the Professional Fighters Association from Jeff Boris can't get it done, if the double M triple A with the heavy handed yeah. uh, list of fighters that they had, I mean, GSP came to Alaska, if they can't get it done and then project spearhead, they certainly made a full throated effort at it. And I think they got further than most, but they didn't get far enough either. It's like, dude, at what point are we going to say, I just don't know how viable a strategy of unionization actually is in the current landscape. And so for those reasons, if you really care about fighter pay, what are the mechanisms to get it? Maybe you could look to the fighter lawsuit, but that is not in our immediate future and, and very speculative. The other one is the Ali Act. And the reason why that's important is because while I know a lot of folks hold their noses at it, unionization doesn't seem very possible. And, uh, and by the way, Lucas Middlebrook was involved with Project Spearhead. Uh, and you know, I don't know what to say about the lawsuit at this current juncture. So it just leaves you with that. And the other, the other sort of point there is, you don't need a bunch of fighters to sign on to that. You just have the group that you have, the uh, the MMAFA, Randy Couture, um, Carlos Newton, Nate Quarry, so just a handful of guys who can then go and lobby. They did get bipartisan support in Congress in the last session. You know, they had a bunch of Republicans, a bunch of Democrats. I mean, for once, we can get you know people reaching across the aisle here. That is highly unusual. So um, I'm not saying that that is the best chance of getting something passed, but it seems a lot more likely. Than anything else and so if you actually think in your mind i want fighter pay to be different what is the mechanism by which you get there fucking blockchain crypto fucking awards from fans is not the way to meaningfully address fighter pay you have to yeah. change the industry i just think folks who hold their noses at oh well, what if mma turns into boxing okay but if you care about fighter pay what is your better alternative i'm willing to hear it i just don't see it yeah, I mean, we're, we're going to have to break a lot of eggs to, to make that omelet of, of fighters getting the treatment they want. And it's not going to be a pretty road, even if it happened. And, you know, the I mean, hearing the inside details there from Kennedy and, and seeing, you know, how many people kind of flipped early, either out of fear, you know, of the UFC or, or they just weren't unwilling to sign their name on the document to begin with. Um, unless you have, Luke, uh, I don't know the percentage of fighters you need, but unless you have enough that it's going to impact the the ufc's day-to-day -day business significantly and it's that bad of a pr uh issue you're not going to get any movement because any you know if you get a small minority of people standing firm well the ufc just doesn't have to put them in the cage anymore luke you know what i mean it's sort of it's what it is and there's right. going to be an, uh, so many hungry people ready to take that so at that point that 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 can be a bad risk reward assessment you know in terms of you know if you speak out and and then you know uh, it doesn't go your way. But um, look at Cajun Johnson. Cajun Johnson was very outspoken for Project Spearhead. Boy, they gave him nothing but hammers yeah. on his way out the door. You know, and I saw it before. You're like, oh, UFC doesn't engage in retribution, dude. I mean, this was different. This was not for signing up for a union. But when Andre Olovsky left the UFC the first time and was going to go to Affliction, they tried to bury his ass when he fought oh, Jake yeah. O'Brien. Now he got the better end of that. I think he surprised a lot of people. I'm sure so Randy's got for stories. That. 
Randy's yeah. got a lot of those same stories too. Yeah, exactly. Like, you know, the the fear of retribution, you know, there's, it works two ways. One was, ooh, would they find out if I signed? Now that one seems to me somewhat of an irrational fear. But the other one is like, dude, I don't know how long I'm going to be in the UFC. Making it here is hard enough. Winning here is even more difficult. I got a short window. I want to make as much as possible. I'm not trying to rock the boat. I don't know how you fight that. The only way you fight that is you get Congress or a lawsuit to make them change. Short of that, good luck. Are, are, what do you take on the UFC's response, which is always Dana dismissing it or, or inevitably if he's pushed hard enough going, well, you know, it's up to them. If they're going to do something, do it. That's more or less what they're saying. They're, you know, they, they don't try to put out press releases that they're throwing extra, extra bonus here to try to soften the PR. Like UFC is basically like, we don't care. Is that why would, um, you, why would you care for the UFC? Again, dude, getting federal legislation passed for anything these days is difficult, number one. Um, that lawsuit I guess, could I guess could, I'm asking how you grade their PR approach. That the, the fact that they're just blatantly like, uh, it's up to you, who cares? Is that is that uh is that yeah, it, it just tells you they're not afraid. They're absolutely not afraid at, at all. I'm sure they don't like those things, right? They're like they would prefer those things not be there. But like, do I really think that Ari Emanuel it can't sleep at night by virtue of, you know, <laughs> these various efforts? No, I don't I think he's probably just fine. All right, uh, Luke, let's transition to topic five, and that's a uh, all boxing related. So MMA fans can tune out now if you all are bitter and weird about it. <laughs> but we got a lot going on in boxing this weekend. Uh, and Luke, the, the, the big focal point is certainly what's going on here in Verona, New York, and next door, Canastota, New York, the home of the International Boxing Hall of Fame. And if there was ever a weekend to be here, which has always been uh, my first Hall of Fame weekend, but it's always been told that it's like, you know, it's boxing candy land, Luke. If you're if you're a fan, the access you have to the Hall of Famers, you know, you can you can get you can do drunken karaoke with them at the bar if you want. You know what I mean? I mean, it's it's unrivaled. This year, we got three classes going in at as one because of COVID, and also the first time women are going in. So th this is just a, a sampling of the star-studded names from these three classes on the men's side, Luke. Floyd Mayweather, Roy Jones Jr., Bernard Hopkins, Vladimir Klitschko, Miguel Cotto, Andre Ward, James Tony, Juan Manuel Marquez, Sugar Shane Mosley. And then you got, you know, the, these first class of the, the female stars, Christy Martin, Leila Ali, Ann Wolf, Holly Holm, a, a bunch of pioneers as well. And then you got, you know, Lou, Debu Lou DeBella, Kathy Duva, beloved promoters. Um, this is fun, Luke. I've had a good time being on the grounds here. And, and I went to the Hall of Fame uh, yesterday and took the tour. And, and Luke, I even signed an autograph, okay? I'm not saying it was necessary. I'm not saying it was needed, okay? But, you know, they asked and I, I reciprocated. Now, when you say you signed an autograph, does that mean like someone handed you a bill and you put your signature on it and you thought that it was an autograph? Or was no, it some guy came running autograph? and yelling my name and he's a, obviously a collector. He's got his hands full and he pulls out a five by seven of a boxing glove. And I'm like, you really want my autograph? So I start signing it in the corner. So like, you know, it could be like, it, no, he's like, no, across the whole center of it, please. So, you know, some guy's got that look. Okay? I've, had, I've, had, I've had it before a few times where folks ask me for autographs and I'm always like, Bro, you know I'm like a piece of shit, right? Like I'm not, <laughs> I'm devaluing this by by signing this. But uh, okay, Indeed. I'll do it if you want. Indeed, uh, Luke, I I am unable to uh, stay the whole time for Sunday's uh, induction ceremony, and you know there's parade, there's there's all that. This small community really fills up and goes after it. 
but damn, to have this many legends all in one place, it's, uh, you know, most of them are expected to be in attendance in tonight's uh, Showtime Showbox, the new generation triple header, which is from, you know, the Turning Stone here in Verona, New York, uh, 9 p.m. Eastern. Check out your boy BC there. Uh, you're sure, you're sure to get plenty of interviews. Al Bernstein, the Hall of Famer himself, will be on hand. Floyd could be in the building, you know, like we're talking about. Um, is Klitschko going to make it or is he just going to stay in Ukraine, obviously, given I the don't, difficult situation? I don't have any confirmation that he's coming. I know Floyd is expected. I've seen Miguel Cotto at breakfast. I ate next to James Tony yesterday. I mean, there's you know they're here, they're here, Luke. How did James? And how did James look? He looked really good. I mean, he kind really? of still lo- looks like himself. You know, the guy we saw over the second half of his career, where yeah, there was some ups and downs, but you know, he was very competent as a cruiserweight and then a heavyweight toward that sort of that tail end of his career. You know, some failed drug tests and some debauchery mixed in there, but he was funny. He was holding court. I mean, Luke, you get insane access to to uh, to the legends here. Dude, if you're, what's your if you're a favorite fan, James so. Tony fight? Uh, without question, Vasily Jirov from, I believe, oh, yeah. 2003 for the Cruiserweight title. It was at the Mohegan Sun in Connecticut. Uh, you know, you have Emmanuel Stewart on the call, and he's losing his mind as that fight is just, you know, accelerating the last few rounds. And when Tony stops him in the final round, oh, my God. Oh, my God. Look at this. Look at this. You know, that's the call from Emmanuel. It's got to be that, Luke. You got any others in mind? Um... Iran I mean, he Barkley? fought Roy in a big one. He got handled yeah. by Roy, but he fought him in a huge fight. Back Did you the- like the Barkley fight? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. That's, a, that's, that's, a, that's the one that stands out well. to me a little bit. But, um, yep. Yeah. I mean, he beat Evander Holyfield. He, he beat John Ruiz for the title. But, of course, the steroid test, uh, you know, turned that around. In the, J- on the James Tony, man. Folks kind of shit on him because Couture mopped the floor with him because, you know, it was all a bit of a big setup. But yeah. James Tony was a clown box too. his ass off, bro. He was oh, so my talented. God. He did it across so many divisions. Obviously, the best of him was at, you know, middleweight and super middleweight. But, you know, his ability to to do the, you know, shoulder roll and the Philly shell and, and just, you know, not get hit and stand in front of guys and swivel and deliver. I mean, he is. That's why it's hard. Some of it is hard because, you know, the second half of his career had the Randy Couture fight, like you mentioned. And, you know, he's kind of clownish in that run. And, and you kind of felt bad for him at times for how long he hung on. But. He reinvented himself so many times because his commitment to his craft and and was so high. And when he brought that to the higher weight classes, Luke, it was just really fun to see somebody you know dare to be great like that and be a factor when you started at what you know one fifty four or one sixty. Mm-hmm. So uh, great career. Um, you know, obviously we can say what we will about so many uh, Floyd, Cotto, Roy Jones Jr., Hopkins. They'll all be here going in. But Luke Andre Ward going in and Showtime just announced yesterday that a uh, a documentary is going to be coming out in early 2023. It's Andre Ward in his own words. And that's significant because a lot of people don't really know. He grew up in very less than ideal circumstances with both parents addicted to drugs and and, uh, and a lot of issues there. And to see him come to this point and then remember him walking away as the pound for pound king at age 33, undefeated, just walked off and never came back. It's one of those unique resumes, Luke, where there's some what if in there, but also it's like, damn, Andre Ward was great. It's a little Habib-like. If there yes. was some kind of comparison, you know. Indeed, indeed, Luke. Um, but you know, hey, Holly Holm on a UFC side, on an MMA side. That's cool. Uh, let's Good not for her, forget man. what she did in boxing. Yeah, absolutely. Great to see her going in with this sort of uh, lead class. She did win what titles in three weight classes, uh, won six, you know sixteen total title defenses. She had a heck of a sort of ten year run before making that switch. So, Luke, also of course, as I mentioned, nine PM Eastern tonight is the Showbox Triple Header. What to look out for from your boy BC? How about this heavyweight main event? I don't know if you remember this guy. He won super heavyweight gold in Tokyo last year uh, for the 2020 games that were a year late. He's from Uzbekistan, Bakadir Jalalov. And Luke, he's 10-0 with 10 KOs. 
He has the same trainer that Dimitri Bivol has, and he's a guy who's six foot seven, patterns his game and styles and movements like the Klitschko brothers in a lot of ways. I'm not saying he's you know necessarily destined for that same level, but this guy can crack, and he's fighting former European pro basketball player Jack Molawai, who's they call him Big Jack. He's six five and a half, so it's a good main event to watch because Jalalov has been uh, promoted by Lou DiBella, who's going in the Hall of Fame this weekend, and. They, he believes like this guy's absolutely legit world class. But look, he's also never been past the fifth round up to this point. So that's certainly something to look forward to. By the way, speaking of Bivol, I saw the ESPN pound for pound rankings. They didn't have Jermil Charlo in the top 10 and they had Bivol at seven. That's blasphemy, right? Well, right now I think I have Bivol at nine and I had Jermil at number 10, but he dropped out because of uh, Fulton Jr. And then Haney and Tank are right there on the outside looking in with him as well. I mean, look, I feel like right now we have almost 15 guys who are Hall of Fame top 10 worthy, but there's only 10 spots. So you got to really... Dude, I don't understand. What would be the case? I mean, I didn't realize that Bivol beat Canelo, and Canelo at the time was arguably number one pound for pound in the sport, but it was out, out, far outside of his normal weight class. And yes, it was a clear win, but how does that compare to beating the guy who just unified the fucking weight class? I think it's because Bivol is undefeated, and he's really... I mean, yeah, he took some shots from Joe Smith, but he's really like not been touched up on the elite level. I mean, he's been he's been pretty dominant in his own weight class, even if sometimes it's been very boring, wide decisions. And then he goes in there against the biggest star in the sport. I get the size difference that you're saying, but it was it was convincing. I mean, I, I'm, I'm fine with it, but like I said, if you have him out and instead you have Charlo, Tank, Haney, Fulton, or anyone else in, Juan Francisco Estrada, at this point, there's literally 15 guys who deserve to be in this top 10. So um, I understand what you're saying, but... That Canal fight wasn't easy for him, even though at times he made it look so, Luke. I mean, he had to be. No, but you're, he had you, to be fought, you fought a, a noteworthy, noteworthy, much smaller guy. I just don't see how on earth that compares to unifying all four belts in a very difficult weight class. Like, yes, I don't know. I mean, obviously, you know about boxing better than I do. I'm just, I'm a little confused by it. No, I mean, it's it, it pained me to take Jermel out of my top ten, not by any of thing he did wrong, Luke. It's just again, it's like, damn, you know. Damn, I mean, Fulton is deserving in this car. He's in this conversation, Luke. Haney is in this conversation, right? No? Yes, yes, Haney. Haney's in the conversation. I, candidly, I'm going to say I don't know if Tank is. Um, okay. For me, for me. I think uh, top 15, yes. I don't know if I'd put him in the top 10 given the strength of schedule. This is what I mean. It's like we're going to put Tank higher than Jermel Charlo. Like on what fucking planet does that make sense? No way. You cannot put his accomplishments at all on par with Charlo's. No, no chance. Yeah, but it's not accomplishments only. It's the mixture of accomplishments to get there, and then mixed with really how great are you? How do you compete against your yeah, division? How do you know Tank is great? Do? He hasn't fought anybody that makes you fully understand. Oh, the that. I- to look at look is pound for pound a science no and people have wildly different views of it unfortunately a lot of people are very ignorant how they look at it luke but it still comes down to what you prefer and for me the eye test matters a lot i always say it's what you've accomplished that gets you in the conversation but to me it's the mythical who would beat who because as we know these guys can't fight each other when they're far apart in weight so you, the only thing you can do is mythically say okay based on the strengths and weaknesses they have in their own division how would they fare against this guy it's why it's hard for heavyweights typically to get votes, although right now I've got Usyk and Fury in my top 10 because they both seem to be that special. When I look at that eye test, I think Gervonta is way better than people realize. I really do, look. I really believe that. I, I, I believe can buy that, but let me just let me ask one final question about that because it's a bit of a side conversation. So, yeah, okay, give me a win that Tank has that's as good as Charlo beating Lubin in the first round. I mean, him stopping uh, Jose Sniper Pedraza for the title, that's a, that's a pretty damn good win, okay? 
Okay. I mean, All right. But then after that, he knocked out Leo got... Santa Cruz. Uh, you know what I mean? And, 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 and they met in the middle. And, and Santa Cruz one. Santa him. Cruz one is nice. But then after he beat Lubin, he beat Trout. He did lose to Harrison, but he got it back. Jorge Cota, Jason Rosario, and then he obviously finished off Brian Castaño. The first fight was kind of crazy uh, as a split draw. I don't know, dude. I think his resume is vastly superior. But okay, but I guess it, again, it comes back to what are you putting more weight in? To me, resume gets you to this point of this conversation, but I think eye test has to be a part of it if you're properly going to do a pound for pound because what's the real meaning we're trying to find out? Who's the best and in what order? And some of that is the mythical who would beat who, but some of it is just, Luke, I've seen Jermel Charlo in my eyes lose twice, right? Yes, he's come back and made great adjustments. Lost once. Right, but with my eyes, I thought he lost the, the first fight oh, to, see, to yeah. you know, Castaño. So sometimes that that fa- factors in, you know, and in and, and I just think I, that, like, here's the thing. There's no doubt that Tank is extremely talented. I've said it for before. I'll say it again. He is obviously quite, quite a fighter. Um, and I get that they're, you know, Charlo's resume is not perfect. But, dude, Charlo has had to do, in my judgment, for whatever that is worth, Charlo has had to do, you know, infinitely more difficult work. And so if you're fighting guys, yes, there are some very good fighters that Tank has beat, but, you know, I don't consider Roley one of them. And I think if Charlo had the strength of schedule that a guy like Tank did, it we would have very different conversations. And I think Tank is being graded on a curve because he is so good and he's a much bigger star. There is no denying yeah. that. And so yeah. that's just my personal opinion. But again, I, you know, I'm, hey dude, I'm, your I'm argument, on the outside looking it, in. Your argument's not wrong at the end of the day. And that's, you know, certainly what a lot of people are hoping that Javante continues to climb the ladder and, and really test himself. Uh, Luke, a couple quick uh, boxing notes of what to look for this weekend. Saturday, ESPN Plus has a card in New York City. And Edgar Berlanga, the rising unbeaten super middleweight, who of course had 16 KOs in the first round in his first 16 fights, now he's on a three-fight non-KO streak. And to be honest, mm-hmm. Luke, there's some questions here. He's welcoming 38-year-old Romer Alexis Angulo, who... You know, we've seen him on Showtime before as an opponent. He, he's tough. He fought Benavidez, you know? right? Absolutely. And he's He's a tough, Colombian so... guy. He's Colombian if memory serves. Absolutely. So if Berlanga is taking the step in the wrong direction, this could be something. But I want to ask you this straight up. Does Berlanga need to restart that knockout streak? Maybe not first round, but does he need to stop this guy here and physically dominate him to avoid us feeling like we've seen him exposed even though he's never lost? Yeah, like the thing is, do I expect from Berlanga what I saw from Benavidez? I think that's unfair for Berlanga. Not a lot of guys are going to do what Benavidez did to him. So, you know, as a basis of comparison, I'm just going to let that go. But still, what Benavidez showed is that there's a lot of times Angulo just kind of covers up, walks into punches. He's there to be hit is the point I'd like to make. Berlanga needs to show... Stop him would be obviously be great. I'm not even saying he has to do that, but Berlanga has to really put it on him. Put it on him, not in the kind of way where he's kind of eking it out and, you know, he's getting hit. It's 50-50, but maybe he did a little bit more. No, like you need to stunt on this guy because he is truly, he's an older guy. He covers up a lot. He doesn't throw a lot of volume. Berlanga really should look good here if he's at all what we thought him to be. And if this is at all close, that's a terrible sign for Berlanga. Yeah, it, terrible. I think if he stops him and looks great, he restarts that hype machine that got stalled. Uh I mean, don't forget, I mean, he was, you know, I had him on the show, I interviewed him, you know, he's texting, FaceTiming Fat Joe. I mean, he's got the celebrity connection. How could some of that not go to his head when, to be fair, if you get 16 first-round KOs in your first 16 fights, you don't know how good you are. I'm sorry, you don't know how good you are. You don't know how you'll respond to things. And in this three fights of no KOs, Luke, where we saw him get dropped, we saw him fight through injuries. I mean, he's had some adversity. The good news is he never lost. 
The bad news is he's yet to show us up to this point that he's corrected those and that that he is the guy that showed all that great potential. But, you know, that's what this fight is all about. So it's worth tuning in for that. Uh, Luke, DeZone is going to give us your guy, Jaime Munguia. Unfortunately, not once again, not against a name we care about in Jimmy Kelly from, I believe, the UK. Um, even Oscar De La Hoya, Luke, in his round of interviews this week, not the best move by a promoter, admitted, I've never heard of Jimmy Kelly. I've never even seen him fight before. Now, he was making that argument to try to say that they tried to make a fight against the Charlo bro. And Oscar's been blaming, you know, Showtime and PBC for not being willing to do it. Uh, obviously, there's deeper sort of business financial concerns there. Is the fight big enough to be on both networks? No. So unless one person is willing to give their fighter away in some kind of trade, you're not going to see it. So Oscar, uh, you know, un unfortunately, once again, stepped in the bear trap, Luke, as he's pissing on his own main event <laughs> while he's trying to promote it. All that to be said, you are a Munguia guy, but are you losing interest on this level of matchmaking? Big time. They're they're wasting this kid's time and all of our time as well. I mean, who's to say? Munguia, you would agree, is much more proven than someone like Berlanga, for example. Like, I, oh, think, I yeah. do think Munguia is much, much better. But at the same time, it's like, dude, what are we doing with this fucking shit? Like, and then it was hilarious. Did you see like, on Twitter? He, I think you shared it with us on text. Fucking Oscar was like... <laughs> You know, I got a 10-figure offer. I'm like, of what? Golden Boy coins? Like, who oh, giving you a 10-figure offer for Golden Boy? And then on top of it, he's like, I would love to work with Dana. After you two shit on each other in the most violent yep. way possible? Like, he's... I don't really know what Oscar is doing. To be, I don't want to make the same jokes everybody does when he does ridiculous things that, you know, Dana makes the same jokes too about... Because he's had a, a sordid history of issues with substances, Luke. And it's, it's sad to see. But... He's a character now of himself, and I hate to say that because he is my favorite boxer. You know, you, you can't pick who Folks you love. Folks don't understand, love... dude. If you miss De La Hoya's heyday, dude, oh he was God. the king badass, of boxing. Dude. You know what? The the best thing that came out of his reputation, like his legacy, is this. Right? He's a Hall of Famer, absolutely multi division champion, star of the sport for a for a stretch. But he always went out of his way to make tough matchups, to make the biggest fight available, to move up to middleweight and fight Bernard Hopkins for all four belts, right? Like he always, 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 you know, making the fight against Floyd when he still had some left in the tank, making the fight against Pacquiao when he got his ass kicked and he shouldn't have been in there at that weight. But he always, always, always. Now, of course, the resume is partially damaged by the abuse he put his body through in the second half of his career, which I think led to him losing more big fights than he won. But nobody looks at his legacy as anything but, damn, that guy's a badass. But yet, Luke, since his retirement, all he does is piss on his own legacy with the way he acts. And it sucks, you know? And now he's saying, oh, man, I, I dodged a bullet by not boxing Vitor Belfort. I would have got hurt. Dude, you, you didn't dodge a bullet. You faked an injury and pulled out of the fight because you knew it was a bad choice. So, you know what I mean? Like, it's just, damn, Luke. Damn. I, one little story about Hadel Hoy that sort of stands with me is that when I was dating my wife at first, uh, this is when he fought Pacquiao. She really wanted to see it. And you gotta understand something about Colombia. Like it, it, boxing is big there, but it's not like it is in Mexico or like Puerto Rico or or Cuba or something like that. Like there, it definitely is very, very popular there, but not nearly to the same degree. And she was saying that when De La Hoya fought in the states, obviously he was supposed to be like the big, you know, uh, presence there and for you know certain Latin American markets. Um, she said even all of Colombia would like when she was growing up, like it was a big deal when Oscar De La Hoya fought, which was like she couldn't tell me if that was true for any other even Latino fighter. Like, that was very, very oh, rare. God, he was dude. a huge, huge, huge. star. And now he's dude. just like, I don't know what he's doing. I really don't. Go watch the tape of when early prime Oscar fought Patrick Charpentier in El Paso, Texas at the outdoor stadium. 
and it, the crowd was a sellout. There were mounds of people chasing after Isaac, uh, after um, Oscar. And look, the crowd was like 90% teenage girls. Like he, hmm. he was a different kind of draw. But once again, with his matchmaking and the way he fought, particularly the first half of his career, really, that Trinidad fight seemed to change him in a lot of weird ways, as was the weird ending and the way that he sort of circled away. But, um, you know, he was a badass. He was an absolute badass, Luke. So I hate to see who he's become. Anyway, speaking of Oscar, it's a perfect transition. Our friend Shaq Majori caught up with him for CBS Sports. He stepped up. And Luke, one of the big fallout, you know, rollout topics from from Tank Davis's knockout of Roly Romero and the idea of, okay, he is that star. We know who he is, but... I got to see him fight the other stars. We know the stance that uh, Leonard Ellerby and Mayweather Promotions have taken, which is basically, we want to fight those other guys too, but you got to come to us, which is hard to do in this day and age with the networks being so tied into the promoters and all the exclusive deals. So Shaq, you know, ask Oscar De La Hoya on the other side who represents Ryan Garcia. Are you serious? How do we make this fight? Ryan Garcia versus Tank Davis to close the year. We know Ryan Guy wants it. Let's see what Oscar said. Obviously the, the fight to make is Ryan Garcia versus Tank Davis. And Ryan Garcia winning July 16th against Fortuna mm-hmm. um, will, will put Ryan Garcia in a position where, where he has a shot at, uh, at fighting the very best, and that's Tank Davis. I want to make Tank Davis a multi, multi-million dollar offer um, to fight Ryan Garcia possibly in October, November. So if Tank Davis is listening, um, let's make this fight happen. Ryan Garcia wants to fight you. Uh, Mayweather Promotions, I believe, uh, um, is your promoter. I can work with Mayweather. You can fight uh, Ryan Garcia. Let's, Let's make this happen. It's the biggest fight in boxing today. Look, I don't like that. And I don't like when the same thing is said on the other right. side either. It's the idea that like, like for this fight to happen, it's it's kind of got to be a, a two you know a two network pay per view. Now is it of that level? You can argue not, but they also have huge followings. Tank is a star. Ryan Garcia is a star, whether he's proven or not. There's some of those same issues as Gervonta. But I know at the end he says, you know, I'm willing to work with them too. But when you say, hey Tank, I'll send you a giant multi million dollar offer, you don't actually mean you want to work with them. You mean. I want him to come to my side and my TV right. and put it on his own, you know? And on the same side, Steven Espinosa Showtime was quoted in the story as saying, you know, we don't want to do a two-network deal with the zone. They don't bring anything to the table. They don't have Ryan Garcia under contract. They have Golden Boy under contract. So really, Luke, unless Ryan Garcia is going to follow through on some of the threats he made of like, I'm going to get this tank fight even if, even you know, I'm not going to let Golden Boy get in the way. If you can pull that off legally and you can come over and we'll do this fight on, you know, potentially Showtime pay-per-view with PBC running it, that's great. But you heard Oscar, it's hard to believe that that's realistic given the the business climate at the moment, unless everyone was yeah. willing to all work together. Yeah, you're right. You're right. I don't I don't know what's going to happen with Tank. I would love to see Tank versus Ryan. Um, yes, I It'd be, I, look, I, it'd be I, I, so I your big. Concerns. It would be really big because either guy could, in theory, win that by knockout. You really don't know. I mean, and, David, and you know, Tank has had some good pay per view numbers. I think Tank versus Ryan Garcia, I think minimum half a million buys. Minimum. Oh, oh, oh yes, yes, minimum, definitely. Um, so it's, I don't want to be that, you know, bearer of bad news because we have seen the streak get, you know, the sides of the streak get closer for some big fights, but we got to have all players involved here 
be willing to do it as a team and split that pot. And I'm not saying it's realistic. I don't know the details, but you got to be willing to do that. I think right now, if we're going to see this fight, unless it's another long build to a Mayweather Pacquiao type thing. And who knows where both fighters will be at that point. Also quickly, Luke, we talk about Gervonta Davis needing to be matched a little bit tougher for our taste. A lot of people say that about Ryan Garcia as well. He is fighting Javier Fortuna. It was a He's fight right they were supposed to make. A, it was a fight they were supposed to make a year ago. I mean, Fortuna's got a little bit of a resume. He's a guy. He's tough, but he's also older. We, we do want to see more. So our guy Shaq did ask Oscar about the idea of, you know, are you are you coddling Ryan in terms of the matchmaking? You're going to get your your criticism, uh, especially from the boxing fans, because they they you know they want to see the best fights take place, and they want to see them now. Um, un unfortunately, Ryan Garcia. You know, he, he was dealing with uh, with 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 uh, mental health issues, and he was off for a while. Um, he had uh, a surgery on uh, on his right hand um, uh, recently, so he's been off for quite a while. And uh, so now, now that he's fighting uh, July 16th at the uh, at the Crypto Arena, um, yes, people are gonna are gonna criticize a bit on on, on who he's fighting. But people have to remember that he's been off for a while. Mm -hmm. He's fighting an ex-two-time uh, world champion who has a great record. Um, so, so if Ryan Garcia beats him at the Crypto Arena uh, July 16th, then we can start talking Tank Davis. Crypto.com Arena. Yeah. Yeah, it is what it is, Luke. Um, I mean, Garcia seems willing. To, he wants the smoke, according, you know, he says it. But a couple, couple soft matchups on the way here. Although, look, you know, that Luke Campbell fight, that's that's why we still have belief in Rye. Because, you know, he got knocked down by Luke Campbell, but came back and finished him and sent him into retirement. Um, I still don't know, man. Uh, my fear, of course, is that Golden Boy and Oscar feel like maybe in the back of their mind, you know, Ryan isn't that guy if they match him as tough as they say they will. And maybe we've seen promoters do this. Maybe they want to keep him away. I hope it's not the case. Time will tell, Luke. Those are your five topics for the week. But, of course, every Friday we look back at all the bullshit we spewed into a microphone and we open up the email address of morningcombat at gmail.com for you, the fan, to, to, to take your swing. You, you didn't like what we said. We said something wrong. You have to send in a receipt, a timestamp. And ball up, brother, because you thought something we said was dead wrong. Dead wrong. I love this segment. Even when I take massive L's, I think it's important for the show. Uh, yeah, it's a, it can be a wild segment, Luke. That's the, indeed. All right, let's start right here. This is from Justin. Hi, guys. Listening live on a Monday here. And Luke just mentioned that in their first fight, Nonito Donaire broke Inoue's face, and then Inoue got a late stoppage. In fact, Inoue dropped him multiple times, but the fight went the full 12 rounds. Thanks. Oh, it's Jesus. Justin. Yes, fair enough. Dead wrong. Sit on Jesus that fence, Christ. Luke. Yeah. yeah. Right. Sit on that Dead L, wrong. I mean. Right up. Gonna... Just like sitting on the chair on the uh, Room Service Diary set, Luke. That L will. I mean, could that, that, could that chair will... be more? I mean, just have me sit on a series of knives next time. I mean, the worst yes, chair in America. Thank you. Thank you. All right, this is one is from uh, Jordan from Hawaii. Hey, Donks, episode 309 at about 36 minutes. Discussing Valentina's upcoming title defense, Luke and BC mentioned UFC champions that have defended their title seven times or more. Jones, GSP, Anderson Silva, and Demetrius Johnson wanted to add to their list. They also forgot about Jose Aldo, oh, who had Dominic Flores, Mendez, Edgar, TKZ, Lamas, and Mendes again. Looking forward to more great content. Fair Mahalo, enough, dude. It's Jordan. 
Yeah. And it goes to show you, Aldo gets a lot of respect, as you would well imagine. I'm not sure that he gets the respect commensurate with his actual achievements. Um, fair point. Great point. Love that. Love that correction. Good, good correction. <clears throat> Number three comes from Ross here, Luke. Hey, BC and Luke, on Wednesday's episode 309 at one hour and 29 minutes, BC said he would love Newa Inoue, the monster, to fight the other belt holder at 118 for all four titles. BC said it was John Real Casimero. However, this is dead wrong. For Casimero was stripped of the title on May 4th after missing weight for his oh, fight with the right. actual current champion Paul Butler getting bumped up to the to the uh to the full title now. Shame that Luke couldn't help you, BC, as he continued to talk about Casimero's chances against a new A. A double dead wrong. Double Keep dead wrong. Keep up the good work, fellas. I, I, for, yeah, I, I had forgotten that, that happened. Yes. I did. I so saw right. Casimero. Uh, what was it the day after the Charlo doubleheader? I think that's right. I saw Casemiro at the airport. He's a goofball. He's a total mm-hmm. goofball. Mm-hmm. Like he's a weirdo. Um, but he, he he had a great night. I uh, win that night. Yes, I totally forgot that's true. Yep. Another, so taking when L's that, left and right. When Anue knocked Donaire out, I went right to ESPN.com's championship page to remind myself who was that fourth title holder, and they still had unfortunately Casemiro. So I ah. it it. It, you know that you know I can't rely on them. Luke, I can't rely on them. Okay, I'm sorry. Fair those enough. are my those are my people. You know, Fake you can't rely news. on you right now. Yeah. Uh, also from Kevin L, a small dead wrong for BC from Wednesday show at 12 minutes and 50 seconds. BC says Zhang Wei Li is a local Southeast Asia product as it related to the marketing of UFC 275. Um, actually, BC, China is not one of the nations in Southeast Asia, which includes Cambodia, Laos. Myanmar, Malaysia, Thailand, Vietnam, Brunei, East Timor, Indonesia, the Philippines, and Singapore. As someone who is also Asian as shit, I would know it's Kevin L. Is that you, Jamal? <laughs> yeah. That's a uh, fair correction, too. I mean, I know what yeah, you I'll meant, take that like L. the eastern side of the map or whatever, but yes, the, he's, he's right. I, Technically, that would not be Southeast yes. Asia. I once referred to Pakistan as the Middle East as well, talking about a fighter and got, got roasted for the same yeah, way. Luke. Some, sometimes, not yeah. No. Okay, I'm, I'm sorry. People, I'm sorry, okay? Thank you. Uh, also, uh, a uh, who do we got here? This is from Christus. Christus. I've never heard of that name before. Hey, BC, this is Christus, a P1 bloke from a city in the south of India called Chennai. Luke, you familiar? Chennai? I think it's Chennai. Okay. I don't, I don't uh, this know. May, I'm making that up. I'm not sure that I know that. Looks like I've never cared about my home country ever. This may be a dead wrong for BC or a dead wrong for the rest of the world. In episode 309 at the two-hour mark. Damn, Luke, we did a lot of bad shit in episode 309. Damn. Yeah, we were um, total trash. You mentioned the things you would do for women and ended by saying you were a one-man woman. So oh, what's going I do on remember here, you saying BC? this, and I let you stew in that because I thought it was a dumb BC joke. It was a dumb BC joke because about a month earlier, I accidentally, when I went to say one woman man, said one man woman. And of course, people had fun with it in the comments. So that's a little, you know, sometimes BC leaves like, like, you know, that plate you leave for Santa with like the half eaten carrot and the, uh, you know what I mean, Luke? Yes. Sometimes I leave out those scraps, you know, because I, I care about animals. You know what I mean, Luke? You do. You are an animal lover. I mean, those mean animals, just be nice. But I care about them, indeed. All right, Luke, that's all I got for uh, for this shit. Morningcombat at gmail.com. Wednesdays, fan subs. Fridays, dead wrongs. A reminder, uh, Showtime, the label that pays me, of course. Showtime.com. You want to see what Showbox at the Hall of Fame is all about? You can get 33 days right now by going to that website. 
And check me out 9 p.m. Eastern this evening, Showbox, The New Generation, live from Verona, New York, unbeaten heavyweight, Bako Deer Jalalov, 10 and 0, 10 KOs in that main event. He was the gold medalist last year. So, uh, how many times are you going to fumble that name on air? A lot, a lot. Okay. (laughs) By the way, we should remind folks tomorrow, of course, is UFC 275. Be right here when UFC 275 is over. Post fight show for you guys tomorrow. I'll be headlining that. And, uh, yes, we'll have live reaction results, the whole nine yards live right as soon as the fights are over. Yes. And, uh, you know, thank you, fans. The like and subscribe social things are there. But when you do like and subscribe and tell a friend and all that stuff, look, it helps. It helps. We've, you know, it helps us get to those next levels. And we appreciate you. We're bringing the live show to UFC 276, which is right around the corner, 4th of July weekend there, International Fight Week. So, uh, Good, good things coming ahead, Luke. Okay, back in the studio on Monday, maybe? That's maybe. right. We're back in studio on Monday. We'll live show tomorrow night. We're going to start ramping things up here, so this should be fun. We're going to be like Rampage Jackson, Luke, in the 18th. energy drinks, driving a car with his face on it. <laughs> Indeed. Uh, for uh, Long Island Luke, uh, Corey Manich, you know, all those guys behind the scenes. I'm sure Sally's back there, too. Sally, there's still time to leave Staten Island. I mean, it's killing you. I know. Uh, that's my co-host, Luke Thomas, right there. Uh, great guy. Great guy. I have met him. Great guy. I am BC. I'm beige. I'm washed. And uh, take care of yourself this weekend. Enjoy the fights, okay? All all work good. All work fine. But uh, first, take care of Ed. We out of here. Thank you.